Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. I got to make this one, this intro kind of quick because it's Mother's Day and the grandkids are over, so you might hear some noise in the background. Um, so, hope you've all been well since the last time I spoke to you. I've been doing well. I'm working like crazy to finish painting for a show I have at Bain Art Gallery in Australia. So I will have some oval studies for that show available soon. And yeah, I've just been burning the midnight oil. I've got probably a month and a half to finish everything, which is kind of insane, but I have a good concept, I think, and kind of a cool series of pieces I'm planning out, which I have started. Um, so let's get straight to it. Let's get to the... Um, the Patreon, uh, new Patreon subscribers. Now, if you want to subscribe yourself to help make this podcast possible, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkartsociety. Uh, enabling this podcast to go on and be free for everyone. We, I can only do it because people are supporting it. So it's Greatly appreciated. Whatever you can do. Okay, I'm trying to find the new subscribers. We have a couple new subscribers. Uh, see, had a few deletions. You know, you know, people uh, run out of money sometimes. But what's cool about the Patreon is you can pause your membership if you're going to have a rough month. And you can join for just a dollar a month. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I'm just going to start way down here. There's only a, only a few here. Uh, I may have read this one last week, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read it again to be safe. Susan Rodriguez, thank you for supporting. Um, oh, I got all this last time. Turkey Mark, Brad Gray. I think I already said those, but I'm saying them again. Jeremy Schott, Jeremy Schott, owner of the Dark Art Emporium, which is a really cool dark art gallery in Long Beach, California. Thank you, Jeremy. Love the Dark Art Emporium. And Fox Lunetta. Thank you, Fox. Both pledged just today. Okay, let's get on to the five questions. Okay. Andrew Hawkins asked, top five horror movie directors. Now that's a tough one. I didn't really think about this. Off the top of my head, John Carpenter. Uh, you know, I love the original Halloween. I love Escape from New York. Um, the Fog. The Thing, of course. Assault on Precinct 13, the original one, which I think is his first movie. Um, yeah. Love John Carpenter, George Romero, because he made a few of my favorite horror movies of all time, which is Night, original Night of the Living Dead and the original Dawn of the Dead. I finally was able to get through the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I tried watching that one three times and I couldn't, it just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because it was so, I just don't like that guy's style of directing and I don't, didn't like I just didn't like really anything about it, but I was able to watch it recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago. 
got through the whole thing. And, you know, once I accepted the reality of it, I was able to somewhat enjoy it. But it was very, I thought, was not special. Well, Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, had going for it. It was special and unique, which is why it's a cult film that still has a following today. The remake, I just didn't see anything really unusual or special about it. And, and you know me, I'm a slow zombie type of person. I'm a purist when it comes to that. Okay, Michael R. R. Miller asks, what are the signs of your art being priced too high or too low for the shows you're in? Also, how do you know that it has nothing to do with price, but more of how new you are to the scene? Well, I would say if your prices are too low, a sign of that might be that your your piece sells really fast, like way too fast, like right away. If they're too high, that could be an indication of that could be that it's in a show, it doesn't sell. You put it in another show, it doesn't sell. You put it in another show, it doesn't sell. And after a year, it's not still not sold. So, you know, that's why I, I started low when I started pricing my work. I had my oval portraits, my oval monster portraits, 11 by 14. I was selling those, I think, 200 or 300 bucks when I first came out and started showing those are the first ones to really sell quickly and i i had them too low because they sold within minutes of the show opening so that happened one month the cannibal flower then the next month i had two and that happened again where people were kind of like fighting over them because they were just they were so cheap and they were well done so um at that point I was like, I got to raise these prices. So I kind of kept raising them and I rose, raised, raised or rose, raised, raised the prices probably too fast because I, I jumped up to 750 within the first year, maybe. And now those pieces are going for around three grand with a custom frame and next show, they'll probably be a little more expensive. Uh, remember what I've said in the past about you got to raise your prices 10 to 20% a year for various reasons. So you can go back and listen to the other podcast where I talk about that. But so I, I think I do think it's kind of safer to start lower, but you know, when it comes to, Pricing artwork, it's really difficult. It's one of the most difficult things about starting an art career because who knows? And you have to kind of test it. But what I do is, the advice I give to people is look around, see other artists of your stature or your time in, in the business or your your time in your career and see what they're selling theirs for see if they're selling um and again like i said before it's better to have them lower to start off and then raise them if you go too high and you get stuck there because you can't lower your prices once you've raised them and that could be a problem 
if people can't afford your artwork. Now, the other downside to having your prices too low is that sometimes stuff doesn't sell because people think there must be something wrong with this if it's so cheap. So that's why it's hard. There's not really an easy answer for that. Okay. Uh, let's see. What top, what top piece of advice would you give an artist suffering from imposter syndrome? Ryan Case asks this. Have you, do you ever fall victim to that type of feeling? I absolutely fall victim to that type of feeling. And I don't have any advice other than you have to just kind of keep going and doing it anyway. You just can't give in to it. I go through periods where I feel like a total fraud and I don't know what I'm doing. But painting a lot and getting more successful pieces under your belt will help alleviate that feeling. But I think it always comes back. I think it always, I think it's just part of being an artist. I, like I said, I still feel that. I, I went for a long period of time where I, did, I didn't feel it at all because I was really killing it on the uh, paintings for a long period. And then I, then you just got to do one painting that's not easy. And then that all falls away and you feel like an imposter, like you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I never went to art school, so that is kind of what I feel contributes to my imposter syndrome feeling once in a while, because I don't have any kind of education to fall back on. And when I'm, when I'm stuck, it's just all self education. But like I said, I think everybody feels it and I don't think there's anything you can do about it. And the only advice I would give is just to ignore it, try and ignore it and continue on because it will go away. Next time you paint a really or create a really good piece of art, it, it will go away. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Caleb Osgood deal. Have you listened to Cop Shoot Cop yet? I have, but I can't remember it. It was a while back. I think I liked it. I can't remember, but I will listen to it again. Because you're not the first person to recommend Cop Shoot Cop to me. Okay, and the last one. Michael Meach. Do you think it's possible to make a living with just original sculpture? I know you swapped over to painting as it didn't work for you, but I wonder if that's related to being in the area known for effects work. Well, it's definitely possible to make a living with just original sculpture. Now, the issue I was having when I started, for those of you who don't know, I started with the intention of being a sculptor when I first decided to become a fine artist. And the type of sculpture I wanted to do was so elaborate and detailed and expensive that I couldn't afford to do it. So I switched over to painting because I knew I could do that. And it was cheaper to create the work and less time consuming. So what I did is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got people walking around outside here. There's all kinds of family here today. I can hear the girls in the background. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry, getting back to it. 
you can, I know plenty of people who are making a living with just original sculpture. Now, if I could have stuck with it and changed what I was doing and made sculpture work for me, but you know, I, I had this idea of what I wanted, which are these life-size heads and resin painted realistically. And, but I could have done, you know, small scale pieces, which a lot of sculptors I know that are successful, uh, are doing smaller pieces. So, you know, it just depends on how you, whether you can afford to do it or not. <clears throat> you know, you can do one-offs with magic sculpt or epoxy clay or something like that, and then not have the expense the expense of doing a silicone mold or a casting. Of course, that's good and bad for different reasons. You can't make duplicates. You could potentially make more money when you can reproduce the sculptures, but you know, you're cutting out that initial expense. So yes, the answer is you can definitely make a living with original sculpture. I'll give you one example. Since I don't have a lot of time and I'm not at the point where I can really spend six months and do some amazing sculptures and have them molded and cast and all that. When I do sculptures now, I do these, I don't know what scale they would be at. Uh, they're about maybe 10 inches tall. I do these flat kind of plate plaque type sculptures. And I do those because they hang on a wall. One, one thing that some people have an issue with is space and wall space is easier to come by than desk space. I think for sculptures. So I make them so they could hang on a wall. I also make it the easiest mold possible, which is just a single uh, single batch open pour mold. And it's easy for casting because it's just an open pour casting. So that has made it more affordable to do sculpture for me. It's not a multi-piece mold that needs seaming and this and that. It's It's made to be produced easily. So... Yes, it's definitely possible to make living with just original sculpture. You just have to be creative, creative about how you create the stuff, and you have to just work within your means, you know? Okay, so today's interview is uh, another great one. It's with my old friend, Norman Cabrera. Now, Norman has worked. He's been in the business. He's still in the business. And he's been in for about the same time as I have been in the business. He may even have a year or two on me. But he's just, I'll give you just off the off his IMDb quickly. He's, he worked on the recent Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. He worked on Hellboy 1 or 2, Amityville, The Awakening, The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Star Trek Beyond, Drag Me to Hell, X-Men Last Stand, Fantastic Four, Kill Bill Volume 1, House of a Thousand Corpses, mm, 13 Ghosts, Planet of the Apes. I mean, we've, a lot of these films we worked on together. So I've worked with Norman for years, and he's a really great guy, really cool dude, really talented, super talented artist. And... 
he's also a, me- a founding member of the band the ghastly ones which was this amazing surf horror surf band uh we talk about it in the interview as well but they were just such a great band so anyway that's coming up now the interview went really well i think we went for two hours so okay i'm gonna get back to the family and celebrating mother's day i hope you enjoy this podcast and thanks again for listening here is your interview with norman cabrera what's up norman how's it going chat Good to see you, man. I'm doing good. Yeah, you too. It's like I don't I hardly ever see you anymore, except at like Monster Palooza once a year. Or That's true. Something. That's true. <laughs> I know. It's usually one of those things. I know. It's we like a class reunion. On, at, at Rick's, you know. So I know. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's me and you and Mitch and Matt mm-hmm. and, and Steve Wang. Yeah. You know, on Planet of the Apes. That was the last thing we probably worked on together. You know? What was? So. I think Planet of the Apes maybe was the last thing you and I worked on together, but we also worked together at at Spectral, right? Yeah, it's like it's like I've worked on so many things with you, I can't even remember what we've worked on together. <laughs> but like the Hellboy movies and yeah, um, yeah, it's just like you, you know, you've been in yeah. the you started and, it and bunch of shit, but I but I knew you back to uh, to Tony Gardner's mm-hmm. like you know, Tony Gardner's uh, shop back in. You know, I guess it was the early '90s. You know, right? Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. Gifted, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah, those are fun times. You started like. You came. I was just looking. I was kind of doing a little background on you, even though we're friends from way back when. I just, you know, it's been so long since we talked. I did a little bit of research, and you said you came out from Florida in '85. Yeah, I'm, I moved to L.A. In, in Florida, from Florida in 1985 and, uh, you know, came out here like all of us did, you know, to make monsters for the movies. You know, like we were all inspired by Rick Baker and Dick Smith and yep. and so all the big guys, you know, from Makeup Effects and American Werewolf in London and The Thing and all this, Rob Bottin and all that kind of stuff. So, like, you know, we all grew up with that kind of stuff and Fangoria and, yep. and everything. And it was just kind of like, at that time, it seemed like it was like this perfect storm, right? Like, like all these kids from all over the country, you know, were coming to LA to make monsters for the movies, you know? Right. And I was one of those kids. You were, you know? So, yeah. uh, like a bunch of us were, you know? And um, it was that was a really fun time, man. You know, it was like, you know, I I was just making masks like you probably were in your bedroom, you know? Yeah. And, and then I, you know, I, uh, I, I ended up coming here to work on movies, you know? So just... You know, well, what I always wanted to do, I didn't really have any other, I didn't have a plan B, you know, I, yep. <laughs> my plan a and plan B was to make monsters for the movies. You know? Right. So, <laughs> so how did you, uh, yep. were, were you, were you like an art kid? I mean, before you got into effects and masks, how did you, how did you get into that in the first place? Yeah, yeah actually I, 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 um, I mean, I was like, like, you know, started drawing when I was like five or something, you know? And um, I probably started sculpting uh, just really rudimentary stuff when I was probably about eight or something like wow. that, you know, just messing around with Play-Doh and, you know, yeah. just that. But then but what really uh, what really made it for me was when I, you know, like a lot of people, when, when I saw Star Wars, you know, like 
and all those cool masks that, that Rick Baker did uh, for the cantina scene. And like, I was just like, I discovered the world of masks, you know, like probably the number one thing that I, that I discovered first and foremost was making masks. So mm-hmm. like I, I, I set out to make my own masks, you know, and I, and there was, there was, learned what I could yeah, the, for that, magazines. That's what I was going to say. There was no info on anything back then. It was so hard to find information how to make masks. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the stone age. It was like, it was like, uh, you know, there was no internet, you know, people don't even understand. Like you actually have to go to the library (laughs) or to your local comic book store or newsstand to pick up, you know, Cine Fantastique or Cine effects and that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's how we learn how to make monsters. There was no schools. There was no, in Savini schools or any of that kind of stuff. We just, uh, we learn how to make monsters, you know, from, from, from whatever little information we can glean from these magazines and from little books here, here and there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are some yeah. of the, some of the best times when I looking back, it's like when you were making your own stuff, making your own masks and you were just learning how to make molds and how to sculpt. It was so fun. I remember that being like so much fun. Like all my friends, well, not all my friends, but, people were like just starting to get into partying and stuff like that. And it, for yeah. me, it was like the party was <laughs> making a monster mask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, to stay up late. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, when I was in high school, uh, I got lucky because my high school art teacher, her name was Mrs. Shaw. Like, like um, she was a pretty cool, very liberal minded kind of uh, hippie type teacher. And, and she was like, she was like, you know, I brought in one of my masks one day and uh, and um, and she was like, you made this stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, she goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to grade you on your masks, you know, so, you don't, you know, you're beyond the lesson. Wow. You know? like, <laughs> so I'm going to just bring in and work on your masks. And I mean, you got to think about it, like in your formative years for a teacher to be like, I'm going to grade you on your masks. And, and uh, because I am pretty confident you can you know, do the still life, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. So Mrs. Shaw, you know, she's really cool from, and high, 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 you know, was one of the first people that was like, encouraged me to do this stuff. Cause she's, and I was, ma- I started making masks when I was like 16 or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, you know, she, I, I, I get, got to, you know, uh, bring it in and, and get graded for that. And like, that's how it all started. You know, like I was just, obsessed with monster with monster mass mainly because of rick baker and star wars and you know there was this magazine back then called sin and magic which i'm sure you bought oh yeah i I still have a bunch of those issues (laughs) yeah Yeah. and then there's there was an article on there by this guy named kirk brady which later i would find out the information that came from this article came from rick baker oh wow yeah so so uh but in that in that article it said like how to make a monster mask I have it over here somewhere in my magazine stash, but still to this day, my original magazine. But um, yeah, I mean, I I learned how to make a mask more or less from that magazine publication, which again I found out later it came from Rick Baker. Oddly enough, you know. Yeah, so, uh, that's amazing. That was so a- I would play to make monsters, man. You know, like you know, like I'd have you know the days of MTV and all that shit. You know, like you'd have that shit playing in the background or cable. Yeah. Cable came out like you. You know, you can watch you know stuff on cable TV, and I'd have that running, and I'd stay up really late and and make masks in my bedroom. You know, yeah, yeah. I think that's what we all that's what we all did. I mean, Rick Baker says the same thing. I think it's like he kind of had his little 
bedroom as a as a little effects lab and he was making masks and stuff yeah yeah now i was lucky too though my, my mom you know like we, i my parents had gotten divorced and my mom moved in with my grandparents and and uh and i was i came with her of course and and like but she was totally cool and let me like make you know cook foam latex in her kitchen and yeah stuff. So, my mom did you know, too <laughs> in that in that respect too like you know my mom let me like trash her kitchen as long as i cleaned up you know yeah yeah <laughs> using 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 the like the regular cake mixer to mix foam yeah. latex i had to use my own stuff that was the only <laughs> stipulation i couldn't use I couldn't use the, the mixer that she made you know uh uh pastries with or anything i had to use my own stuff you, yeah. you know so <laughs> yeah man those were the days so how you know florida florida's kind of a, a conservative state you know, it's the yeah. South. Did did you get any kind of pushback, like people saying you were satanic or anything weird? Because I, I know other people in other parts of the country that said they grew up with that. I didn't, You know, it's funny because we we had a little um, uh, where we were. It was highly of Florida. It was like a it was a little suburb of Miami, and it was insulated from that um, hardcore redneck, you know, sort of stuff. We were a little insulated from that because I lived um, uh, like. It was a lot of there was a lot of Cuban immigrants, you know, mm-hmm. where I live. You know, like I'm, I'm Cuban, and and my family, you know, everyone, every member of my family is Cuban, and and like it was like um, it was an Americanized Cuban, you know, like household, you know, right. and and um, so we were like a little bit insulated, like our little community was insulated from hardcore redneck, you know, kind of stuff, and uh, but if you left, like if you went up. You know, you 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 witnessed a little more redneck kind of action. Right. Um, uh, uh, if you if you went up up north, you know, like right. closer to the Panhandle, like you get outside of Hialeah. You know, um, nobody really. Uh, I never really got that, but you know, we got harassed. You know, like back then. You know, like you know, when the days of MTV. You know, if you were like new wave or metal or whatever, you know, like you were gonna people were gonna yell shit at you. You know, like going to a concert. You know, like. Like that, you know, you got that kind of shit every now and again, but I didn't really experience too much of that pushback necessarily, you know, uh, from, from, uh, from, like I said, cause it was such a little microcosm. You right. Know? Plus Miami's then, pretty like, liberal too. I think like it's a pretty yeah, liberal part of Florida. Um, at the time, you know, uh, it's weird. It's weird because like, I, I, I didn't really get a, a strong sense of politics at that time. You know, it was like, I, I didn't it didn't enter my world right. that that sort of politics i didn't really understand it wasn't in my universe you know i was like all about monster movies and that yeah. sort of stuff and so like uh monster uh, movies just, was my politics yeah exactly <laughs> my my and rick baker was my president i don't know, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah it was dick and you know dick smith and rob botine and all that yeah. um but you know what's funny is that um uh like i said my my mom, uh, you know, we, it was, she had been divorced and we lived in this house with my grandparents and sometimes her work friends would come over and they would see, you know, like my monster masks on the walls because my bedroom was like kind of more or less what it, this, my office is like, right. it was movie posters and masks everywhere. And so my mom's work friends would sometimes take a peek in my room. And, you know, and they would be like, oh, you know, wow, your son's got like devil masks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then my, my mom was totally, luckily I got, had a cool mom. So my mom was like, oh, that's, those are his creations. That's, 
that's his stuff. You know, those are that. That's what he makes. You know, those are those are his uh, works of art. You mm -hmm. know, whatever she said. She never. Uh, you know, she, she didn't. It wasn't like she was embarrassed to talk to her friends about what I what my room looked like. Right. You know, it was like she cool about that you know so i got lucky in that respect too yeah you know? that's so, important man that kind of support especially during those formative it years it really is you know because like you know my dad was the other end of the spectrum who didn't understand all this monster stuff oh, really? you know? very uh you know like hardcore you know old-fashioned you know that kind of thing oh, wow. and, and um you know yeah so it was like that didn't jive in his universe at all but but I got lucky because, you know, at least one of my parents, you know, supported me. You know, right. So. Right. Yeah. Were they, were they, uh, like first generation from Cuba or, cause I remember you or, or second or something or first generation, like 1967, wow. you know, like, like, yeah, you know, so, uh, um, you know, uh, they came and they, they, you know, they became, uh, us citizens and they, uh, you know, they had to take this. Back then, I don't know if they even do this now, but you had to like learn. You had to like take home this book and learn like a whole thing. Like a, it was like a le legit, like hardcore test. You know, like you had to learn all this stuff about U.S. politics right. to get to get your American citizenship. You know, right? And and so, uh, um, so they they did that whole thing. You know, like they went through all that. You right? Know? So, yeah, yeah. They went through all that craziness in Cuba too. That must have been insane. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've heard a lot of wild stories from my, my mom. I don't remember any of that stuff, you know. Like, I mean, I, I didn't, you know. But she, what year were you born? I was born in '64. Oh, okay. You know? Wow. Okay. So you're born in I Cuba. Two years old. I was born in Cuba, and I was uh, two years old when I came here. But I don't have any memory at all of, of right. that. I only know like the stories that my mom and my grandparents have told me. You know, so I I, I grew up in a a very Americanized household. You know, where mm -hmm. it was like you know, um, breakfast cereals, sugary breakfast cereals and, you know, HR puffing stuff on the TV, you yeah. know, it was like, <laughs> they had, you know, they would have these, um, my, my dad, when we were younger, when my parents were still together, they still had these functions where, where they were, um, uh, you know, from the functions where, uh, other family, Cuban families that were in exile would get together. So I got an understanding of the culture and stuff through that you oh, know wow. but uh actually our our household or the stuff we were into as kids was all you know schwinn stingrays and you know uh <laughs> you know wacky is and you know that yeah mostly like every other kid you know yeah so, the 70s are pretty pretty amazing time to be a kid oh yeah yeah know? yeah i mean we had fun stuff i mean i guess every generation probably you know thinks the same thing like their generation we had the coolest stuff. I mean, I, you know, GI Joes and wacky packages and, and, you know, uh, happy days on TV, right. and, you know, <laughs> you know, shit like that. That's like, you know, those, to me, those were good times, you know, it was like fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. The 12 inch GI Joes with the fuzzy hair. Yeah, exactly. And my kid, my kid's got a grip. <laughs> What's that? The, the Kung Fu grip. I remember when my kids, my kids started getting into GI Joes, they were like, this big and i was like these gi joes are shit man ours were like 12 inches they had crew cuts and fuzzy hair so yeah. much better <laughs> and these giant vehicles too like do you remember like the, the gi joes had this like the huge helicopter like the oh, big yeah. yellow you know like adventure team helicopter and stuff i mean you know I, that was like 
<clears throat> you know, that was like the holy grail if you got that as a kid, you know, like the G.I. Joe helicopter, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like this big. I know, know? it's like, huge. I remember one time my uh, my stepdad just out of nowhere came home one day and surprised me with a G.I. Joe like a submarine like a single yeah. like it just do you remember that it was like just the G- oh, yeah, a yeah, single yeah, person yeah yeah like, the, like it's a little single man submarine that had the octopus with it it was like yep. this little rubber octopus thing too you know it was like <laughs> i remember i was so i was so excited i took i was like oh i'm gonna go take a bath right now and play with that because <laughs> they had like the adventure team like they gi joe um moved away from being like an army guy and in the seventies, like he became like an adventurer, you know. Right. So like was like it's like the adventure team. So they had all these cool like um, all this gear for yeah. him, you know, which is like the shit we, you know. I mean, I, you know, it's like that stuff was gold, man. Oh you know? man, Seriously. the b- binoculars and the pistol and the holster. It was like everything was it was just good quality too, you know. And that was just it was beautiful stuff. I mean, I remember going to the toy store. We had this place called Lionel Playworld, you know, and it was. It was like, you know, my my parents didn't have a lot of money, but you got to pick something out for your birthday right. or whatever. And and it was like you went there and you were like this wall of stuff and you're just like, oh, fuck, what do I want? You know, right. it's like uh, you better make a good choice. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. like, one of the things I got was that helicopter, you know, so Ooh, you got the helicopter. Nice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But and yep. you, you know the, the the other thing that was cool was all the monster stuff they had back then, especially in the early seventies. It was kind of a carryover from the sixties. Like the Aurora mo- monster model kits were like common at every toy store. Oh, right? that was that was massive, massive for me, which I'm sure was for oh, you. Oh yeah, too. for sure. I remember the first Aurora that I that I laid my hands on uh, that I actually got. I got second hand. And it was I, I, uh, my when we were still really little kids and we were like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Uh, my parents would take us to our grandparents house in West Palm Beach um, and we'd stay there. And uh, and at the time, my grandfather was renting this place that was above. A, 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 it was like, a, you know, a very Palm Beach looking place. It was like a beach house kind of thing that had a garage on the bottom, uh-huh. you know, like and and. I, and then the bottom, there was a bunch of junk in there. And I used to love to rummage around, you know, like s- people's stuff, you know, like find weird shit. And I was like <laughs> rummaging around there and I found that uh, Aurora mummy, you know? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. The Aurora glow in the, glow in the dark mummy. And I remember getting that and I opened it up and it was partially built, you know, mm-hmm. which is even kind of like, and I was like, who could have this belonged to? It's like did somebody, somebody's kid like go off to Vietnam or something, right? You know, and like there Aurora box behind, you know, like like it's kind of like I don't know. I started like develop this like story in my head, like <laughs> it be. But then I asked my grandfather, I was like, "Who's is this?" You know, and then he's like, "Well, I'm pretty sure it's the landlord's or his sons or something." Uh-huh. So he asked about it. My grandpa did, and then. The, he said, "Oh yeah, just give it to Norman, you know." Uh-huh. And so, like, I got to keep this thing, which was like so. That was the first Aurora Monster Model Kit I got. That's a know? great one, man. The sculptures on yeah. that of the, the columns and stuff with the yeah. chips in them are so. so yeah, I know. and it's I don't know. It's just like the glow in the dark parts. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. cool you know? I was like, and then I was like way into Planet of the Apes and stuff. Too, oh so yeah, like, I remember. Planet of the Apes model kits too, you know that they, they had those, model kits. 
Yeah, Adar, which not Aurora. They weren't by Aurora, but they were by another company, like a, a cheaper version of Aurora called Adar. Oh, wow. And Adar, um, uh, the, the Planet of the Apes, uh, um, they did four characters, you know, and oh. I remember getting oh, yeah, those. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember those. I, I, had, I, was, I had, like, the play set. Like the the fi- action figures and then the, oh, yeah. the like the treehouse kind of thing. There was yeah like- yeah that was my ego. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was like you know it was like actually you know it's co- so cool because now we now we live in a time where you can look up anything on I YouTube. Know. You know, look up those look up those Mego commercials, the ones that they showed us when we were kids in the seventies, and you're gonna it'll blow your mind. It's just so cool. Like it'll take you right back oh, to be excellent. like ten years. Have you, you seen know, yeah. have you have you seen that I, I wish I could remember the guy's name this dude does um videos for the the top stone masks like the history oh, of yeah. what's that guy's name they're really good though like the all all the yeah. cl- classic old ma- they're terrible but like they're so great and they're like a history of that. that mask it's amazing I love I love uh, there was something about the the primitive nature of those masks and and those and the stuff from that time, right. even if it was done kind of crudely, there was something really fun about it. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. The, the Top Stone's like about the best example of that that you can think. Oh of, yeah, you know, yeah. So. I want to get one of those caveman masks so bad because that was the one that my, oh, my grandfather chased me around the house with when I was a kid and terrorized me. It's there's really the, the something about the crudeness makes them more scary. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's almost like an actual maniac made those masks. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's what I, that's a you know right that's that's what they should do if they're gonna do like a, a, a horror movie with a crazed killer that wears a mask they should wear a shitty top stone mask or something that's t- terrifying yeah. looking you know what i mean or creepy yeah than, than like something that's really perfect you know so do you remember this yeah. this one mask you might know actually i i have not been able to locate it but it was my favorite mask it was a guy just like a guy's head and it had a knife handle going in here. And then out the eye was the end of a knife with his eyeball hanging out. And it was like one of those, you know, the blood was sculpted in like drip drips of blood are sculpted. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that might be, uh, unless I'm, uh, unless I'm mistaken, that might be a distortions unlimited mask, but I'm not. Yeah. No, it it, it was before distortions. It was like, I was probably five years old. So it was, you know, early seventies, okay. seventy three so years. Early mask that you got like at the dime store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I, I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, it was so great. Yeah, I, I wish sure. I could find that because that was like that was that was my mask when I was a kid. That was the one that I still remember. That and the caveman mask. Oh yeah, if you can, and I mean now would be the, the time to find that. You know, like if there was a time to find something like that, it would be now because you know you can find anything on eBay or whatever. Yeah, you know, right. Or ask, about it and somebody knows you know so yeah that's but, yeah one of the great things about the internet man is all that you look being able to look up all that stuff is so cool absolutely okay so um what so so did you when i was in high school i like right around 12 years old i started making masks around 12 really bad mm-hmm. really bad first ones were bad but um I got so into it. For me, it was um, Dawn of the Dead and the, and the Howling. Those were the two movies where it went bang and like clicked for me. Like, I got to learn how to do this. And I was kind of messing around with makeup before that um, because I, I got my hands on a, a my friend's dad was was a, a nurse and, and he 
had like this shoebox full of makeup and a, and a little Stein's pamphlet on how to do like broken noses and bruises. And, and it was for training other nurses, mm -hmm. you know, so they would do, I guess they'd have these drills and they'd make people up with cuts and stuff like that. And that was like my first like experience with makeup. And I, I was probably like nine or 10 or something. And that's when I started doing like, you know, the latex burns and, and all that stuff. But then when I started sculpting, saw the howling and Dawn of the dead, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And then from then on, I was like, teaching myself and then building a portfolio through high school so that I could get a job. Did you do that? Were you like taking pictures of things and, 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 you know, keeping yeah. track of everything so that you get a job when you got out of school? Yeah. As a matter of fact, like that's, that's, that's how I got hired at Rick's, you know, like I got hired at Rick Baker's because I sent him. That was your man. first job. My, my first job was working for Rick Baker. At Holy shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and here's here's the story. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, right? Okay. Um, I mean, I had started making masks, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. And then um, really, first and foremost, I wanted to impress Rick. I mean, I was obsessed with, he had, there was, a, at the time, there were all those articles and, and him posing with that Star Wars devil, you know, mask. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, super cool. Oh, and, 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 uh, and the uh, the troll, you know, everybody yeah. loves that troll mask. And all those, and then the, the cantina guy, which, you know, and all that stuff. Mm. And um, so, like, I was making my own masks. And um, so right around the time, like you said, there was this boom in the early 80s where the Howling came out, American mm -hmm. Werewolf came out, all that kind of stuff. And Rick was doing a bunch of press uh, for American Werewolf. And there was all these, like, news programs, like Entertainment Tonight yeah. type sh and all that stuff. And he was on those shows quite a bit, you know, like promoting American Werewolf. Um, and one of the shows he was on was a show called PM Magazine. So yeah, yeah, I remember, I, that. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so um, he was on the show talking about werewolf and showing all this stuff, and at the end of the show, on the end credit crawl, there was actually a post office box address for the show. You uh -huh. know? So on a fluke, I had already been making a bunch of masks. I had a, my own little wall of masks. I, I took a bunch of the pictures that I had taken of my masks, sent them to that post office box and put Rick Baker care of PM magazine. Well, lo and behold, they forwarded it, my letter to Rick. Can which, you imagine? Luke, right? <laughs> yeah, that's you insane. Know? Isn't that crazy? So, but it gets more crazy because whatever it was three weeks later, I'm at home and I'm living in Florida with my mom and my grandparents. And I'm still like 16 or 17 years old or however age I was at the time. And I and the phone rings on a Saturday, and my mom's like, you know, cleaning the kitchen or whatever. She, she picks up the phone and she's like, "Hello," and it's like, "Hi, this I'm looking for Norman," you know. And, and she's like, "Who's calling?" And says, "Rick Baker," you know. <laughs> Rick Baker called my house. Wow, you know, like, that's amazing, crazy. And I was, so my mom's like, "Rick Baker's on the phone." <laughs> and it's like I thought it was a friend of mine, you know, like fucking with me, right? And I was like, "Oh, come on!" So I pick up the phone and I'm like. I'm like, hello, and I was like, and they're like, hi, this is Rick Baker. I go, I go, is this really Rick? And he's like, yes, yes, it's really Rick. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Damn, your stuff must have been so good. Like, he's like, he said, you know, so he was like, I really liked your masks, and uh, you know, um, just wanted to say I got your. I'm very busy, I, and and I, I, you know, I I I can't couldn't respond directly to your letter, but I thought I'd give you a call. What a nice I'm thing like, to do. A call's better than a letter, right? Yeah, was, yeah. What a cool thing to do. 
Yeah, so he called me and and um and uh so he's like here's my uh shop number and and the my my direct address to the to the shop and stuff and keep in touch, you know, I think you're doing good work, so keep it up, you know. Wow. And so I was like, wow, awesome. This is like my hero was calling me at home, you oh, know. You must, must have been on cloud 9, man. I didn't even like I was I was floating, <laughs> you know, 6 inches off the ground for like the next week, you know. <laughs> and so like so I took his advice and I, I periodically would, you know, send him pictures of my work and all stuff. And I came to visit LA and, and, mm. and visit his shop when they were doing uh Starman, you know? Oh, just, really? Yeah. They had just finished thriller and all that stuff. And, and um, so I went, they had the thriller and he had done uh, video drone and werewolf of course, and all that. And he was working on Starman, the John Carpenter movie. And I came to visit uh, during that time and and he let me hang out at the shop like literally all day. I was at the shop like for eight hours. That is so hang- cool. You know, yeah. And that was, you know, you got to think about how, how cool Rick it is of Rick to do that. But Rick, I think, was into passing on that sort of goodwill to other people because Dick Smith had done that for him, you know, like oh, yeah. had mentored. I think Rick was into mentoring people that he thought, you know, um, showed some promise, you know. So that that's so, uh, I, 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 I was. I've said that on the podcast before. I'm very open about like when people ask questions about painting and how to get into the yeah. fine art thing and all that stuff. I've I've right. always been very like forthcoming with information, and I and I always credit that back to Dick. That was, that was from Dick Smith because he set the standard for that. He could have been like, you know, a closed off. I'm going to keep all my secrets, and it would have affected the whole industry if he didn't if he wasn't so open with it. You know, and I think That's a, absolutely. You know, yeah. a lot of us are open because of that. Yeah, that was right. I mean, Dick Smith was like, I think he was um, turned off by like how uh, uh, a lot of people that he approached in Hollywood were very secretive. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't want to be secretive. I want to, whatever information I have, I want to share with others because maybe somebody could take that bit of information and expand on it. And it was just going to progress the field. And you know? it did, so, like, you know. He he helped out Rick Baker. He helped out Craig Reardon, you know, mm-hmm. and then Rick got to help out, you know, Rob Bottin and a lot of us, you know, and yep. stuff like that. And, uh, um, you know, so it's kind of like passing it forward, you know, right. So yep. it's kind of like a cool, like it's a, it's a, it's a, like you're an ambassador of goodwill, you know, <laughs> you're going to pass on this cool shit to somebody else, you know? Yeah. Cause that's so. <laughs> cause, cause you care about the art form more than you care about like your own, you know, yeah. having an edge up on the competition. It's more about the art. Yeah, yeah, it's about and it's about forwarding it, you know, and making it better, you know, right. and whatnot. So yeah, right. you know. So that's amazing. That's, so so you so you got to hang out at Rick's, and uh, I'm yeah. sure you learned a ton by going and seeing how how it was done. So freaking happy to be there. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, I it was like, you know, like my hero let me, you know, hang out at his shop and and you know, kind of became my mentor. You yeah. know, it was like a who I would send pictures of my, my work to and stuff and then um and then you know when the time came that i felt like i was ready you know i, I didn't want to jump in it too quickly you know like i felt like, like i i like i if i'm going to work for rick I, I figure and i tell this to people now you know like if you're going to approach a professional that you admire or look up to or whatever it is um you may only have one shot to impress this person so that shot better be good. You That's know? true. Yeah, so, yeah. So don't 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 approach 
approach someone prematurely. Yeah. Uh, and let approach someone when you're ready, when you think your stuff is at least cool enough that that they're gonna get something from it and realize. Don't don't hit them up too early. So I I kind of took my time and and on stuff, and I eventually um you know let him know that I was ready to move to L.A. Wow. And and that's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that it took it took you know it was like a seemed like about uh, a couple years you know so mm-hmm. uh, when I was twenty I was like I really want to move to L.A. you know and um, and so I I got a job at Rick's you know that's a whole other story so you, you know? <laughs> so you <laughs> did you have a job lined up like he said if you come out here I'll give you a job or was it like you just kind of came out and hoped he would give you a job <laughs> it was kind of a little bit of both you know so <laughs> here, <laughs> here's how it went down so. So like I I um I I I said Rick you know like uh you know I had already like I said been corresponding with him for like close to like a year and a half two years you know mm-hmm. and then I worked on a low budget movie out in Florida and worked on some other things and and I was like I'm ready to move to L A so and he said to let him know when I was ready to move out to L A so I so I uh I turned twenty years old you know mm-hmm. and I was like you know I'm ready to, move to L A so I I, I um. I called him and I said, I'm coming out and, uh, you know, if you have something, let me know. So he said, well, give me a call when you land, you know, mm-hmm. and he didn't promise anything, you know, he, right. on, the, on the phone or anything, but he said, give me a call when you get here, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I flew out and I landed. And of course, first thing I did was call Rick and I was like, <laughs> I was like Rick, I'm here in LA. And he's like, Oh, cool. Yeah, hang on a second. And, and and he's I'm gonna put you on with Larry, my cousin Larry. Larry was oh, the guy yeah. who was the coordinator. And and so I, he hands me the phone to Larry, and I'm like, like, oh God, what what's this all about? You know, it's like a little <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. And then and then uh, and Larry gets on the phone. He's like, like yeah, I think I have some. You know, well actually, Rick said, I think I have some stuff for you. You know, let me put you on with Larry. And and so I was like, oh shit. Larry gets on the phone. He's like, yeah, you start on Monday. You know, and I'm like, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. I never in a years expected that. It That's, was, it literally went down just like what I'm telling you. That's you know? amazing. And he's like, you, can you, can you start on Monday? And this is what you're going to make. And, you know, so on and so forth. And I was like, I, I, I literally couldn't freaking believe it. I mean, I really, I couldn't believe it. It was just like, and you know, I was, I was working for my hero and, and, you know, I was getting paid mm-hmm. and, just it, it was just crazy it was absolutely crazy did you have a place and to live he, i didn't okay that's another story <laughs> want to hear that story? yeah i want to hear it all <laughs> okay <laughs> so, uh, so i didn't i didn't really have a place to this is this is shit that you only do when you're 20 years old you know <laughs> you throw caution to the wind you're just like fuck it i'm moving out there i'll figure it out as i go you know at least i was like that right you know um I didn't have a, a place to stay, and I mean, I didn't have a place to live officially, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then, and um, but my brother uh, had a high school buddy that lived out here, and and he said, "Well," and I talked. His name was Alex, and he and uh, he said, "You can crash at my place if you want for a few days," uh-huh. you know. So, uh, so I was like, "Okay, cool." So, like, I knew at least I knew I had a place. To yeah, crash. yeah. Okay, so. So I, I go, I'll take it from there, you know, <laughs> right? And I'll get a motel, after whatever. So, so, uh, um, so like I, I get there, and first thing I do is I call this guy 
Alex. And I was like, I go, Alex, uh, I'm here in LA. I'm here at the airport, you know, whatever. Uh, and he's like, oh, I can't pick you up at the airport. Take a bus to, to Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, shit. You know? <laughs> From LAX? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, all right. So yeah, to put it in context, Hollywood Boulevard, 1985. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if people remember what Hollywood Boulevard was in 1985. Scary. It was scary. Man, it was it's like it was like you know like that Guns N' Roses song you know fucking Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, and you know like, like <laughs> 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 you know, so, so so like uh, uh, so hilarious. I get off this bus you know right and like and this guy Alex is there to pick me up you know and uh, uh, so so I go and I crash at his place uh, for the weekend and then I start working at Rick's on on Monday. And then uh, I'm like, I really, really need to get the fuck out of, you know, this guy's house. You right. know, it was, it wasn't a very good, it wasn't a good deal. Let's put it that way. I mean, it was just, he didn't, he was doing me a favor to stay there and that was nice, but, but like he had some roommates that didn't want me there. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it was just like weird, you know? Yeah, so I was sucks. like, fuck, I gotta find some, some place to stay. So to make a long story short. Three, two or three days, practically on the first lunch or the second lunch I was there, I let everybody know that I was looking for a place to crash. So I got very, again, I got kind of pretty lucky. I met Keith Edmire. You remember oh, Keith yeah, Edmire, Keith. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Keith was, Keith was also like, he was like this 19-year-old kid that was working for, for Rick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's like, yeah, I have this apartment in Glendale, and I have a roommate that just moved out. So, so you know, if you want to move in, and at the time... It was so cheap. It was like 350 bucks a month. So we split it for, like, can you imagine LA, like 350 bucks a month? That's amazing. For, you know? But uh, so I moved in with Keith and we split this $350 a month place. So I had a place to stay and I was working at Rick Baker. So wow. that was pretty much anyone could ask for at that time. Yeah. So, incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. Who, who was working there when you, when you worked there? Uh, when I was working there, um, Tom Hester was still there. Oh wow! Uh, uh, Lenny McDonald, uh, Sean McEro was starting to had started working for, for Dave uh, Dave Miller, uh-huh. who was right up the um, and uh, Jim Leonard, you know wow. uh, the old guys and uh, and a, and a couple. Of, it was a small crew, you know. It was at the time Rick hadn't become the hadn't gotten the massive shop yet that he had gotten. It was still the small shop that he had done American Werewolf right. and some stuff there and. Done, there it was a shop on sherman way you know it was like the little, little yeah shop. i never got to see that shop i always heard stories about it though yeah 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 and then then it later became great cannon shop right you know? right so, yeah yeah amazing so that was, yeah wow wow what was the what was the show it was a classic <laughs> and i use that yeah it was a movie called rat boy oh rat, rat boy no way <laughs> what did you what did you do on rat boy I was, I, I was, um, I did a little bit of painting. I did a little bit of seaming. I did a little bit of hair work, you know? Wow. And, and Rick showed me how to punch whiskers, you know, mm-hmm. like, like into, into, a, into a, they had, you know, you have to prep like 40 appliances. So like, you know, I, I did all the whiskers. I punched all the whiskers and all the appliances I did, you know, it was sort of like he was easing me into it. It wasn't like I, you know, Hey, here you are. And you get right. to do all this. You're like, whatever, you know, I was, I, I kind of learned the ropes, you know, from 
brick, you know. Yeah. And um, and uh, and then the, and then that the next show was Harry and the Hendersons, which started like uh, two months later, and that was great because then seeing, I mean, Rat Boy was like this movie that nobody gave a rat's ass about, you know, but. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> nobody gave a rat boy's ass about it. Nobody gave a rat boy's ass about it. But, but uh, um, uh, you know, uh, Harry and the Hendersons was was like more like you know a big Universal movie and all that stuff. So you know, and seeing Rick design Harry, which to this day is still one of his favorite characters. So yeah, so it's being amazing. A, that was pretty great, and that's where I met Matt Rose and Steve Wang. Oh, too. Okay. They, Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. What What did you do on on Harry? On Harry, I did a bunch of painting. I did a little bit of sculpting. You know, mm-hmm. I sculpted. Uh, we sculpted a lot of uh, multiples of feet and hands. You know, um, and uh, there were two guys that played Harry. Actually, there was Kevin Peter Hall mm-hmm. and this other guy named uh, Mike uh, uh, Mike uh, or what's his name? Uh, John Bloom. John Bloom. Uh, uh, they had as a safety net. In case Kevin couldn't do it, they had this other guy right. named John Bloom, and um, and uh, so there was multiple feet. I did the feet for John Bloom. I did a set of hands. I did. Uh, I painted a lot of stuff. I painted a lot of hands. I painted a lot, and a lot of just general, you know, fabrication and right. assembly and that sort of, you know. So, um, uh, you know, I mean, and then you know, just being in that shop with 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 Rick was. It was incredible, you know, and seeing the creation of that creature, you know, it was like so cool, you know. Yeah, so, amazing to 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 be that be one of your first shows. I mean, it's a great opportunity. I mean, couldn't that was literally the second show, you know, <laughs> in L.A. Crazy, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, you you're what's cool about you is you do everything. Like you're one of the one of those guys that can take something from beginning to ending. And do it all yourself if you had to, you know, like, yeah. I, I know that, um, uh, I've seen you like, uh, you, I've seen you on a number of projects where it's just kind of like your thing and you just take it from beginning to end and, um, you know, you'll pass on stuff to get molded just because, you know, you, you could do a mold, but you just don't really want to do a mold or you're doing, working on other, other things, you know, but, um, yeah. that's, that's like the old school thing that you're able to do that it's like people it's not like that anymore yeah i mean i still i still do that like i like to take on a character um and take it from beginning to end Mm -hmm. and and like the way that the the work the workflow at at rick's in the 80s was to kind of carry things through you know like rick would assign you a gag you know or whatever right it was your gag you know like you did all this stuff you know later on it became more departmentalized but uh, but uh, um but if when you were you know the early days of working for rick baker you did have to know how to do everything you right know? you you, had, you you painted you did hair work you sculpted you made molds you 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 sometimes cast them you even ran foam right you did, did it all i mean i i you know i did i worked i worked uh steadily at rick's from like 85 to about 91 and uh and where i did everything you know like right. every every aspect of what was needed to get done for the job and that was kind of like rick's way of doing stuff for a long time it was like you you had to know how to do all the steps right it wasn't mentalized yet yeah you know? yeah and and i i still like to um like you said you can still hand off molds to people and things but but like as far as the art and the stuff 
I still like to get a character, be assigned a character for a movie, and then take that character all the way to, to, to finish. Right. To take set and all. That's my favorite thing to do. I've never been a huge fan of just sitting there and sculpting all day. Right. Or right. sitting there all day. You know, for me, it's like, I, I like the, the, the taking it from the very inception of the thing all the way to the set, you know, like that's my favorite thing to do. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, you're amazing at it. I mean, I, I, I I've, I've always been Im- impressed with that about you because I, I've always been more of the, you know, scul- I like to sit and sculpt all day and not have to deal with all the other shit, but it's like, I, I, I can't remember what it was that I was watching you do. It was maybe something at spectral, maybe the, the angel of death, maybe that mm-hmm. might, may have been, I don't know, but I remember you were just like, you know, dealing with everything, the suit and the foam construction, and you were kind of in charge of how the whole thing was going to be made. It might not have been the Angel of Death, but... Yeah, w- no, what, was it was definitely the Angel of Death. On the Angel of... On Hellboy 2, my, like my baby on the show that I I handled for Spectral was the Angel of Death. Yeah. And on the first one was was the the corpse that rides around on, on Hellboy's back, you know, like yeah, the well, Ivan corpse. You got like the two of the coolest things in any of the Hellboy movies. It's amazing. You know Those two things, like like Mike, you know, Mike Elizalde over at Spectral, you know, handed me those things to. Those are those. You're going to handle these and take them all the way to to the end, you know. Yeah. And I, I love doing. That's my favorite thing to do. Like yeah. like I I don't I don't like the departmentalization. I also like the suit building part of it too where you actually you know the engineering of the right. of how it comes to like I, I absolutely love that like to me that's just as fun as any other step you right. know like and engineering how it's going to come together and how it's going to play and how it's going to break down and all that kind of stuff right but yeah you've done a of that yourself like dark man you you handled most yeah. of that stuff right yeah you know? yeah yeah i've done it but it's like you know what i haven't done a lot of carry through i was i guess it was more um prosthetics oriented but but you know like i remember working on what was it oh me and moto were working on um fantastic four uh mm-hmm. the thing suit yeah. on on the second one i think and i remember i was just like fuck i don't know how to join these hands up to the suit <laughs> you know that's a whole other thing like i, I mean i'm yeah, into yeah. it it's fun and everything but but it's not something I could just like, you know, jump right into. It's like I really have to think about it. And luckily, Moto is really good at suit stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of yeah. dealt with that. He had done a lot, a lot of that stuff, you know, for Screaming Mad George, and mm-hmm. again, the engineering of the suit and taking it all the way through. There's a lot I, that goes into that. There's a lot yeah, that yeah. goes into it that I, you never I see. That. I mean, to me, that's part of the making the monster. Right. You know, that's part of the, you know, like like I, I absolutely love every step of the way yeah you know? yeah yeah that's cool though it's cool that you're you're sculpting them you're engineering them you're painting it you're taking it on set you're applying the makeup in some mm-hmm. cases even it's it's amazing it's 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 kind of like it's it's kind of rare i think to, to operate that way nowadays it, it, it is and i and i kind of like i i'll gravitate to places that let me do that oh you know? yeah yeah well you got the reputation you've been doing it long enough so I want to, I want to, you know, I'll gravitate to a place that like, if somebody calls me up and they'll be like, you know, you can, you can do that. You can take it from point A to point Z, you know, like, um, uh, I'll take that job over any other job. Really? You know, I'll, I'll, I, there's, there's jobs that, you know, 
Well, there, there are jobs out there where you just literally sit and somebody hands you a sculpture and you sculpt all day. Right. And that's that's fine too, but that's not really what I like to do. I, I like to actually make a monster. Right. You know, take do a whole damn thing. You know, that's my <laughs> thing to do. You know. So. What, what what kind of stuff were you doing for Walking Dead? Did they let you carry characters through, or were you no, kind of like a sculpting machine there? I, I, there was both. I, mostly a sculpting machine there because the turnaround is so. Um, the turnaround is so uh, insane, you know, like really? you literally like they write the episode and you have to like deliver stuff really fast. You know, right. Like, you know, um, uh, there, there's very little uh, turnaround time. So there, a little bit of the sculpting machine thing, which really burns you out. Yeah. You know? And then and then uh, and then but then occasionally there would be these tribute walker things, you know, that, that Greg always wanted, you know, so like if I got a chance to work on a tribute walker. That was more fun because then um, I got to like be like I'm gonna do this whole damn thing. Yeah. And and one of the funnest ones was um, doing a, a tribute to uh, Jack from American Werewolf in London. Oh it's yeah. Jack puppet. Even though you 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 barely see it in the show, it's more like they put it in there as an Easter egg, you know. That's um, cool. You have to look for it, but uh, um, but still, it was it was a you know pretty spot on replica. Of, of Jack from American World of London, which was one of the biggest inspirational things, you know, as growing up. So oh, like, man, yeah, me too. Be like, uh, you know, Greg's like, you're going to build this Jack puppet, you know, like, and I literally built the Jack puppet and I took it all the way to the end, like all the finishing and all that yeah. stuff. It's like, that was just a blast. That must have been super fun. You know, you know what I remember from um, that Jack makeup that so impressed me when I was a kid, like it sticks out to this day with, with those hand appliances. Oh yeah! Do you remember that one shot where they're applying the hand? I think they're applying the hand prosthetics to him, and I remember just I, thinking that looks so cool. Yeah, and that was those were sculpted, I think, by Tom Hester. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and uh, I remember I thought the same thing. It's like little things like that. It was probably a photo in Fangoria. Yeah, you know? it was in Fangoria. It was the Back Baker's the half applying. the half dozen article, I think maybe. Yeah, exactly. Baker's half dozen article, <laughs> and like you know, this beautiful. I remember thinking of at the time, like, because you know we were still kids, you know, and reading Fangoria, you know, when we those articles came out, and I remember seeing that sculpture and being like, oh my god, I, I someday I hope I can sculpt that. You know? I totally remember. I tried to do it. I, I, I when I was. <laughs> You know, I, I tried to, to sculpt a hand appliance like that, and I just, like, couldn't do it. I was like, oh, my yes. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. But, you like you look at it, you're like, I got it. You know, I'm going to push myself. Right. Be like, I want to do this. I want to be able to be this good. Or yeah. Seeing all those, you know, that all that news stuff coverage of, like, Rick, you know, sculpting the troll. And you're like, wow, that thing's just freaking amazing. Like, how do how do you make clay look like flesh? I know I know and, and and that's that was just like that's what inspired us and we got you know we're like you know we got to try to at least try to be as good as this you know try to be like like on this level of Rick Baker where that your the flesh looks like the folds of the flesh and the little lip edge and the fat around the ears. Uh, yeah <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about that fucking troll that troll mask sculpture is like yeah. probably one of the most influential sculptures in the whole effects industry like i use i, I i'm it's unconscious at this point but yeah. i know that i you know i sculpt those fat wrinkles around the ears like that all the time <laughs> It's from that troll sculpture, even in my paintings and stuff. 
all that texture and stuff and the and the eye bags and the wrinkles it's yeah. like it's it's so funny that something like he he just it was like just a mask he sculpted i think for fun or something wasn't it well they did it as a they did it as a test you know like uh um i think when there was some downtime uh between a show and then they did it as a kind of they were going to try a mechanical test but i don't think it got too far you know they just, all they, they were able to make the head right. and a and a rudimentary body but they never really finished the whole thing but there was all those iconic photos that we saw yep. for kids in in cinefix and all that stuff and like there's rick sculpting this thing that like looks like it's alive you know so i mean people out there if they don't they don't people don't know what we're talking about they should look just look up rick baker troll and you'll probably see like one of the greatest right I'll, I'll, anybody's I'll, ever yeah, I'll I'll try and yeah. find pictures of photos of that and post it in the Patreon for people to see because it's like so influential. It's amazing. It's funny because we all know everyone in effects sculptors. Everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, yeah, Tordu and I gush about that all the time. <laughs> you know, at the time when you're a kid, like, how do you make that looks clay look like flesh like that? Like those little the compression yeah. of the wrinkles around the eyes and the fat the the little lip thing and the double nasal labial fold. And like you said, I, I think I still like to this day subconsciously channel all that stuff in everything that I do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's amazing that this, you know, this one piece can be so influential. It's what it's a trip it's a trip. Yeah. You know, I'm, I wonder if he knows, you think he knows Rick knows. Huh? Know. I, think, I think enough people have told him. <laughs> <laughs> Especially now that, you know, Rick's on Instagram. too. Mm -hmm. So like, I think, Enough people have told them how much they love that troll. Right. You know, that, that uh, you know, I got what we were working at uh, uh, on, on Men in Black 3. Uh, we were at, you know, working at the shop and Casey Love, who's also a massive fan of that troll, you know, uh -huh. um, uh, working and in, in, in the paint area. And like, and Casey calls me over and, and he's all like, dude, look at what's back. And he pulls his curtain back where there was a bunch of just stuff stashed behind it. A curtain, and there was the troll, and we were just like, "Oh, it was like, <laughs> real man!" You know, it's like, it's like, it's like everybody loves that damn thing. You yeah, know? yeah, so. it's pretty amazing what uh, Rick's doing on Instagram now. Like, just for he's like kind of gone back to his roots in a way, like messing around, just doing stuff yeah. for fun, like you, like you would do if you were a super rich guy that didn't have a job, I guess. <laughs> He's just well, doing that, you know? <laughs> but I mean, he's just doing cool shit that doesn't have like a reason to be done other than just to share it and to show it, you know, like little after effects yeah, videos and 3d sculptures. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, he's still, I mean, he's still this like powerhouse of, of creativity, mm -hmm. you know, like even though he's retired, you know, like um, he's still this person that has this burning passion just to make stuff. And I think that's like, that's what pure art really is. It's like that passion to want to make something. Right. Like, no, nobody's telling you, you have to make yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's making it, you know, like he's, he's like, he wants to make this stuff because he loves it. You know, yeah. and that's, uh, that's, that's where I think true art is. It, true art is the passion part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah, like, that's true. Like, that's a good point. You're like, so, you know, you have this burning desire to sculpt something or to paint something or whatever it is. That that passion, he and like you know, he doesn't he hasn't lost it one bit. No, so, no, like that's so cool. 
cool, you know? He's a great painter, and, um, too, like a fine art painter, like a oil, really oil painter. He's really good. Oh, yeah. love I love all that stuff that he does. It's really good. And his dad, you know, his dad, dad was a really great painter, too, right. you know, and some beautiful paintings hanging around, you know, his place uh, that his dad did. And it's just like, you know, it comes from this great lineage of, of artists, you know, and stuff. Right. You know, it's like... I mean, he's still my hero, man. You know, what can I tell you? You know, he's, like, <laughs> he's, he's an amazing guy. He's yep. amazing. He's, you know, what's funny about Rick too, is, um, he's got such charisma, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it's, and it's, I, I, I can just like, when he, when I was working at the shop, you could just feel it. It's weird to say, but you could kind of just feel it when he walks in the room. He's got like yeah. that thing that like celebrities have. It's like a thing. I guess yeah, it's called charisma or something. I agree. Don't, don't you think? He's extremely, he's extremely charismatic in it, but he just has like this. Um, I, I think a lot of times people who who have that um, like desire to create, or they have like a thing about them like that, where they, it it it, it kind of comes out of every pore of their body. Yeah. You know? Like it's sort of like they're radiating uh, um, creativity, right. and that is it's almost like you're you're absorbing that like a sponge from just being around. Right. You know? Like uh, he, yeah, I, I I agree with you one hundred percent. You know, right. it's like a somebody who like uh, radiates and 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 you know uh, gives off uh, this positivity of of, of creation, and creativity, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it like with yeah, absolutely. with like musicians and actors and people that you see on set. It's like you can pick up on it. It's, you can see like, yeah, oh, I see why they're famous. Like, like when somebody <laughs> walks in the room and they're like, you know, they're a rock star, you know it. You yeah, know? yeah, it's like, weird. It's like a and, feeling. And, true, and not in a pretentious way. No, no, know? yeah. Like, like a true rock star is like a, a David Bowie or like, like a, a Bruce Lee, you know, or a Muhammad Ali yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing, you know, like somebody who, who like, you know, you're drawn to them because of, of that thing that, that they have, their creativity, and it just burns off of them. You right, know? yeah, it's, yeah. It's a weird... Yeah, you know it's a weird like it's a weird like energy thing it's just a trip it's a trip because it's i I completely agree yeah i remember seeing you know who i saw and i wasn't uh i was never like a blank 182 fan or or anything like that but i saw uh and i didn't it's weird because i didn't even know who he was until years later but i saw uh travis barker Uh the drummer when I was working, I was working with Mitch at Warner Brothers Animation for a while on this really stupid chicken cartoon project. <laughs> and I saw him walking through the mall because it was it was like in the some mall over there. Uh, I forget some famous mall, like an outdoor mall, but it doesn't matter. I saw that guy and I immediately was like, I just it was like you, you pick up it's like a psychic sense or something. It's like, he's like shining almost. It was yeah. weird. And then I, and then later I was like, Oh shit, that was, it was like, it wasn't until, you know, later that I realized it was Travis Barker. And it's like, he totally had that thing, that weird thing you get. Yeah. It's weird. No, I, it's, it, yeah. I, 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 when I, when I, I've worked with people like that, um, you know, and I'm sure you have too, like you get that from them, you know, yeah. you get that from them. It's like, it's like a thing like they're, uh, their energy is there, you know, like I totally, it's, it's, it, you know, you can sense it. It's palpable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a trip. It's just always struck me as a, a trippy thing. So you've been on, you, you've worked on so many movies. I, I couldn't believe what your IMDB. It was insane. And you worked on a lot of good ones too. It's funny because my IMDB has, I worked on so many bad movies. I think it's cause you probably, 
You got into Rick's. Bad movies too, man. Yeah, I know, but I worked on a lot more bad movies than you did. <laughs> I worked for ten, 10 years at uh, for Tony Gardner, and so we weren't getting like Rick Baker projects. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's pretty incredible all the stuff you've worked on, and and all the times you've been on set and out of the country, and I mean you've been doing this for like over thirty years, right? Yeah, since well, officially since night. 1984, you know, is like my, my I, I worked on a, a, you know, I was like started making stuff in Florida and then I moved to uh, L.A. in August of 1985. Okay. So 84, 85 were like when I first started doing this stuff, you know, and you've and, been doing it every ever since. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, I and you know what? I, I don't let anyone think for one second that I don't realize that I, I kind of had a certain level of luck, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, of just ha- taking a or, or whatever it is. You know, I don't know what it was you good, want to call it. But. Good timing, but you were also Rick Baker wouldn't have called you back if your stuff wasn't good. He wouldn't yeah. give, he wouldn't have given you a job if your stuff and wasn't I, good. And I busted my ass too. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, I worked hard at what I do, but also too, like to have to have a, a longevity. And this sort of thing is is uh, I, I do feel grateful about it. You know, I guess that's my point. You know, like like I don't take it for granted. In other words, you know, like, right. I don't take for granted the fact that I've been able to do this since 1984. You know, like I don't take it for granted for one second. Yeah, know? yeah. No, uh, that's one thing. You're you're known for your enthusiasm. That's one thing that you're you're known for. You just have you love what you do. I mean, everybody knows that about you. You get excited about working on effects you know yeah. like you love it and and, yeah, and it's that, cool to be around that that kind of enthusiasm in, in a in a work situation he, he, I, I still you know i still i'm it's 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 cheesy to say or whatever but i'm still that little kid that watched monster movies right. like I, that still is me you know like i i don't and you know yeah there's aspects of of this industry that that can beat you down or whatever, or make you jaded. And I, I can understand if somebody decides to be jaded, but you know, like I can't be jaded because I, your, 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 your two alternatives is to enjoy what you do or be jaded. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like there's no in between, you know, like, like, so, bro, so I'm not going to be jaded. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy what the fuck I do because I make monsters for a living, yeah, you know, it's a cr- and, and I feel like incredibly lucky that that I've been able to that I took a childhood passion right, um, uh, and turned it into a career where I make really good money, you know, and yeah, so yeah. like, 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 how can, how can I not be grateful for that? And I don't really understand uh, when people um, get jaded, especially for no particular reason. There are reasons I think in any in any field, whether it's the movie industry or whatever. There's reasons to get jaded, of course. You right. know, you you know. You have a, you work for a terrible boss. You get screwed over by people. You know, I, there's reasons to get jaded, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But but uh, what you do is you avoid that shit. Yeah. Kind of focus. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Your best. If you're in a bad situation, if you're in a bad situation, you are your own pilot. You can steer yourself right. out of that storm. You know, like if you hate something and you absolutely are miserable and about a situation situation that you're in then get the fuck out of that exactly. situation you know? <laughs> yourself out of that storm you know like 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 i i've worked with people you know it's it, it, that i've not liked or 
spot were giving me a bum deal, mm-hmm. and then I just get the fuck out of their way. You know, I just go to another thing. You know, right, like, right. Fuck away from negative pe- people because negative people want to bring you down. Yeah, you know, negative people will. Negative people are so in their psyche or however it was, however it is that their brain works. Um, they want to bring you down, right? Because they feel good. They they want to bring you down to their level, right? You know? Right. So so so, you know my my approach to to negative people is just stay the fuck away from negative right. people. <laughs> you know, it's really that it as it sounds trite or simple, but it's like it's true. Stay away from those. Should steer yourself out of that fucking storm and go someplace where where you'll be appreciated. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, and and where people value what you're doing and what you're bringing to the plate you know right uh, as much, as much as you possibly can and and i i still love monsters i still love monster movies i still watch monster movies and 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 it's like you know it, it's it's an it's a it's an ideal you know um you know avenue that i chose when i was younger and i'm really happy that i was still i'm still able to get that excitement about it, you know? like, yeah I, if somebody says me about a project i'm like you know and and it's like you're gonna get to handle this werewolf on this next show. Yeah, you know, I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. <laughs> Who would want to? It's amazing. I know. Can I start? You know, like, <laughs> I get excited, man. You know, it's like I still, I, I'm still that 16 year old kid reading famous monsters and reading Fangoria. You know, right, right. You know, I don't. You know, and then you know, I'll still be that person. Whether you know the things that happen to you in life. There's, there's always obstacles. There's always these things, but you always have to like maintain that positivity. And, and, you know, you only have one life to live and you fucking just keep going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I was getting, I was getting, I was getting really cynical and bitter and jaded towards the end. Um, But it's funny because, uh, and I started just, I would complain about everything and I was just really unhappy. But, Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I got out of the business and had a like a at least a year or two maybe to actually look back on it and see it clearly, and mm-hmm. I realized that um, my um, my dissatisfaction was because I felt like I wanted to do something else, but I didn't. I wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like I wasn't. I was. It's almost like you know. It's not really fair to to get mad at the situation you're in if you don't have the balls to take yourself out of it. And it's like, I didn't really have the balls to do it. And so I was kind of like, I didn't, I wasn't able to see it at the time, but I was like, I was angry really at myself because I, I didn't, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing the thing I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, uh, it's, 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 it's sort of unfair really in a way to, to put that on your job, you know, take responsibility for what, do what you want to do. If you're not happy, you know, yeah, I know, and it's sort of like you 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 may go through some bumpy patches, you know, but but it's like you know, do follow what you want to do, and if you're in a situation that's making you absolutely miserable, then do whatever you can to get out All of right. that situation. I I agree with you a percent. You you weren't getting to do you, you know uh, you you actually have a, um a, 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 an ability to put something on cam canvas that elicits an emotion, you know, right. Um, it's it, and so that's what you wanted to do, you know. Right. Like you want you wanted to not be designing something for somebody else, right, or right. be or whatever, you know. Like you wanted to take 
your ability and make what you want to make. Right, you know? right. Uh, you know, and so you chose that path. You right. Know? And, and, and it's sort of like, because the movie, the movie industry wasn't like providing you with what you needed. You right, know? exactly. So that's yeah. where the... That's it, where, that, so you that's where the I, perfect shift, you know? Right. So I did it's it. Like, I eventually got, <laughs> I left because it was like, I felt like, I mean, I, lo- I, I was, I still love monsters, you know, obviously I'm painting them yeah. every day, but uh, I I still love makeup effects. It's like I still do aspects of everything I did in effects, like yeah. making molds and casts and painting thing, painting resin figures. And um, I mean, I love the process still. And um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was just like uh, I felt like. Like I couldn't. I, I felt like I satisfied every goal that I had in effects. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, I reached, you know, I'm sculpting at Rick Baker's. Yeah. You know, that's, that was all I ever, that's the highest I ever imagined myself going yeah. and designing and stuff like that. And, um, and then, and then it wasn't until I started thinking about doing fine art and then I tried it out and I, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Then I started getting in shows and um, once I saw that, oh, this is a totally different trip. I could just kind of do the same sort of stuff, but like just my own thing. That's when I started getting really bitter because I wasn't able to, I was frustrated because I wasn't able to leave and go yeah. do this thing. Cause it wouldn't pay enough money. And, but like I said, after like a year or so looking back, it's like, it's like the best job in the world. Basically. I mean, it's the pay is good. It, I mean, aside from any negative stuff, it is like, it's so much fun. <laughs> the people are cool. Yeah. You know, it's like most of the people in effects are really great yeah. people. I, I, yeah, I have, I have fun, you know, working every single day. You know? Yeah, I know. But, yeah. But like, you know, like with you, you, you have, you have the ability to, um, I don't, I think because, uh, you wanted to make your own, do right. your own thing and make your own vision, put what's in your head onto a canvas. You took that the right path to get right. it out of it. Right. Because effects, effects are still, you're still like, creating somebody else's thing. Right. You know, right. it's still a collaborative process. Right. And you're doing what, what's, what's being asked of you in the script, you know? Um, whereas like you, you're not, you're not following a script. You're just doing what you want to do. Right. So, and, 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 and so like, I think that was the right path for you because you have that, you had that desire to right. make, put something on canvas that was, that you saw in your head. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I, I I, I, I've, I've always had like a few different things I wanted to do. One of them, it was makeup effects and then it was yeah. music. Yeah. And then it became, then for a while it was computer animation. I got really into that. And then it was fine art. And you know, the, I tried for like 10 years with the music and I just couldn't make that happen. So I kind of yeah. gave up on that. And yeah. um, the computer thing I got totally burnt out on. Cause, and, and then the fine art thing is like, it's great. It's hard work, but I can do whatever basically i want which is super super fun um but uh you 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 are a musician you're a a great drummer i mean uh, for people who don't know uh norman was in the ghastly ones you're like a founding member member right i mean it was your band wasn't it yeah yeah well i mean it was me and garrett emil you know garrett's another effects guy you know Mm -hmm. worked with garrett many many years as well you and Garrett worked at Tony Gardner's and all that. And actually, that's where I met Garrett because I, I worked very, very briefly at Tony's. Oh, I thought you knew him before that. I didn't know that. No, I actually met Garrett uh, at Tony's on on um, 
the ill-fated um, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh and, yeah, right. That's where I met Moto for the first time. And I, and that's where I met. Well, I, I knew Moto, Moto before that, but I worked with Moto and and um, and and Garrett and you guys, and I was working on these mushroom people. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Those were great. Like <laughs> old mushrooms. Yeah, and and uh, and then so I met Garrett there, but we kind of we didn't re- totally hit it off right there and then, but then we hit it off later. I can't be, oh, okay. you know, uh, but, but like, it's funny that you mentioned music because so many of guys who do what we do play music. I know it's a trip, right? But it's like, it's like, so like, uh, um, it was really, uh, it was really easy in a way to come here and not only meet these people that are into monsters, but they're also in the music. <laughs> like, so like, like when I, we were working on, on gremlins too, um, you know, uh, uh, Eddie Yang, you know, was, right. was playing guitar, and 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 then there was other. So I I jammed at that time with with Eddie and Wayne Toth, and and all that stuff. And it was just like that was even way before me and Garrett jamming. You know, right? And, uh, um, and it was always a thing where you know you got together with people to jam. You know, and it was like you know that's a, it, it's it's crazy to think that like what a uh, this this. This congregation, you know, of of all these people that were all all of our age who came to LA in the in the mid eighties, right? So many like minded interests. We're all into similar music and yeah, and all yeah, that kind of stuff. And also super yeah. talented. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's like everybody, you know, maybe it's because it was Rick's, but man, I just feel like the effects industry has more talent th- than any other film industry i don't think there's the same kind of talent at like digital maybe there is but it seems like the people know, in effects the best people that in effects are like they can fucking sculpt they can paint they can do all kinds of amazing stuff as you know better than what fine artists are doing actually you know mm-hmm. i think and and you know and you had people that yeah i agree and and you know you had a lot of people played guitar or played drum oh yeah or, just about or, everybody or whatever like it's I mean, it's just kind of like an artistic outlet or yeah. something. But you know, the first band I did, you know, we did as as like a Halloween, you know, party band. What I, that I did was with Wayne Toth and Eddie Yang, you know. But then we ended up being in a movie. We're in that subspecies too. Are you, you know? serious? <laughs> <laughs> so like me and Wayne are are actually we went to Romania to work on this movie, and then we ended up being the band like in this heavy metal club, you know, which like pretty awesome. Oh, that's At great. the time, we're doing all this like slayer covers and you know uh misfits and you know all that kind of stuff and and like the director like we were still like super young guys you know and like and doing effects for this movie on and this guy uh ted nicolau was was directing and like he loved us and he was like we i need a band you know for the movie why don't you guys be the band you know so it was like me and wayne actually in the movie (laughs) (laughs) well how how, how did the uh the ghastly ones start because man the ghastly ones were such a fucking great band it's just like i i i i mean i don't know if you realize how great you guys were <laughs> but it was like we were the, just a garage band i know but it was so it was like as you know it, it it might sound pretentious but this is the only way i could figure out to word it it was like uh um the artistic statement was perfect like the way you were presenting oh. it was perfect it was like all your influences it was just a perfect band of that type i thought it's like totally unique and just all the imagery used and the titles of the songs and the album the way you guys dressed it was just 
perfect. It was brilliant. That's cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm I, it was, I am proud of the ghastly ones, you know, and it's one of those things that like, it, it never, it turned out to be more than we ever expected. Oh, really? 100% honest about that. We, me and Garrett had no um, aspirations to, you know, be played on the radio or any, it wasn't, it, it was never about that. Like we didn't, we had zero um, interest in any kind of mainstream appeal. You know, like it was like zip. You, you were know? just doing and it totally for fun. We were doing it for fun. And, and at the time in L.A., um, there was a really, a really big, like kind of underground garage and like surf music scene, you know. Mm. So so like there was this band at, and, you know, Pulp Fiction had come out and, and everyone was really high on, on like Dick Dale and instrumental, you know, surf guitar, you know, that vibe, you know, and stuff. Mm. And there, so, so um, you know, Garrett and I were really inspired by, by 60s music and Dick Dale and instrumental rock and surf music and whatnot. And um, we, we were working together at K&B and we're like, hey, let's start a band, you know, just for fun, like play house parties or whatever, you know. And um, so so and at the time, there was this L.A. band called the Bomboras, you know. Oh, right, like, right. Like, like, you know, again, all very small time, you know, like garage band kind of stuff. But they played clubs and they were like, we thought they were cool because they were able to book a club and 200 people would show up, you know? Right. So in our eyes, in our eyes, they were as big as it got. For that <laughs> yeah. It was a microcosm, you know, that 200 people showed up at a tiki bar to drink tiki drinks and listen to surf music, you know? So it was like kind of like a really small little scene. So, and Garrett and I, you know, love that style of music and the whole like 60s tiki culture. Uh, and but but mixing it with the we, horror though is what... With the horror, and I think that's what made it special. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because, like, if you think about the Munsters theme, you exactly. know, the Munsters has a surf guitar kind of vibe to it, you know, and or, or like the Batman theme, even for that matter, yeah, has a surf guitar, you know, vibe. So we were like, well, what if you took, what if you took that vibe of like the Munsters and 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 Batman and and you know all that sort of spooky '60s culture, yeah. and put it in a big blender with surf music and dick dale and all that stuff <laughs> so that, cool. that's, where, that's where that's where the that's where the ghastly ones came and you know uh, i think i think it it got it got about as as far as one could ever hope for which it, it became a cult band and mm -hmm. we're kind of like a halloween cult band you know so so i guess that's cool like i mean it's weird to go to like knott's berry farm even to this day if you go to the knott's berry farm halloween haunt you know Every Halloween, they're playing ghastly ones over the. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like you know. That's so it, it, cool. That's, that's I suppose that's the most that you can expect from from a band like a cult style band like that is to become a cult level band, right. and, and people are still interested in us playing and and doing all that kind of stuff. But we all, you know, it's we 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 can't devote that kind of level of of energy into music because we have our day job, so to speak. Yeah. Which is, you know, and Garrett's on The Walking Dead, and he's gone a lot. You know, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't really do the ghastly ones, but while we were doing it, it was kind of it was really neat, and I feel really fortunate that it did achieve like a cult status. Yeah, you know? no, it's it's like a, it's it's an amazing achievement. It's like one of the one of the one of the great things you've done in your life up up there with you know your some of your you know your greatest effects creations like the Angel of Death or the that werewolf you did for was it. 
Blade Two, Blade Two, or yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've done like some really iconic characters, but uh, the Ghastly ones is is like if you look at it just as its own little thing, it's like that's a that's a a very successful art project to me. It's yeah, it's I, amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate super that. I, super inspiring yeah. to me. I'm very inspired I, I, by by that. Yeah, and, and and it's something that I am proud of because it's something that we had no no lofty uh, expectations whatsoever. It was more just like, hey, let's get together. And if, if you know, to us, making it would be opening a show for the Bomboras for 200 people, you know? <laughs> well, it's because, you know, it's that's what happens when, when you when you approach something you know, uh, from a place of pure artistic expression and creativity and passion and wanting to make something cool. And that's yeah. it. That's all you think about. Then you get an amazing thing that may not be some huge multi-million seller, but it will find a cult audience because anything that is is great finds at least will make it as a as a cult a cult thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that in a lot of respects it's it's cooler to be a cult I know it is. <laughs> something that that'll have longevity Right. It's like it's like a, a um uh there can be bands that make it really, really big, and they're like the flavor of the moment for six months. Yeah. And then, like, and then you see, you know, all of their records at the bargain bin, you know, like, like at, you know, at, yeah. at, at, at a thrift store, you know. And it's sort of like, you know, like, I, it's, I think it's almost kind of better in a way that it is band than it is to have have like temporary, like temporary massive success because. You know, if you make people, these guys, you have you've heard the stories of people becoming overnight millionaires or whatever. But then, you know, if, if their next album doesn't sell, then they're back at the at at the poorhouse. You know, the, yeah. you know the years. You know, so so it's sort of like it, it, it's kind of a way better to kind of make it as a cult thing. Yeah, it has a certain level of longevity. You know, yeah. and this is you're doing what you want, and and other people are digging it, and you're not like trying to like do something for a commercial appeal. You're just doing it because it's fun. You know? Right. Right. So, yeah. I'm, I'm always re referring to Mike Watt, who's one of my heroes yeah. and, he, and he's like that too. It's like all the stuff he does, he's got a cult following, but you know, he makes a good living. I'm sure at this point yeah. he's been doing it forever. He plays bass for the Stooges now. Yeah. And uh, does all these weird albums. His albums are always like bizarre and he just does whatever he wants. And it's like live simply. It's, it's amazing. It's I kind of aspire to that myself it's like i want to i don't have to be like i don't know fucking multi-millionaire but as long as i can do my thing and be comfortable that's you know that's all i care about and and when you have that cult following the cult cult following fans are the ones that are like you know they'll go to every show they'll buy every album they'll always support you and it's like the bands that kind of make it big flash in the pan kind of bands you'll have a huge following and then they're not going to give a shit about you on your next album like you're saying yeah you know? no absolutely I, I i agree with that 100 percent. you know and then just doing what you want to do you know yeah. like doing what you on your own terms and not being like having it necessarily like you know have commercial appeal you know like well like it's like if somebody were to tell you like chet you know you really should do some paintings of flowers you know <laughs> <laughs> you know because <laughs> you know, we can get those flowers in every target, yeah. you, know, country, you know, and it's like, you're like, would you do that? Like, yeah. you know, like, it's like, no, I still want to make what I want to make. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, that's when it, when it comes down to the, the, the financial issue, 
and people are, you know, say, Oh, you should learn tattooing. Cause you can make a, a fortune tattooing. Yeah. You know, I thought about doing that for a while. And then I was like, you know, if I wanted, if it was about the money, I would just go back to effects. You know, I was mm-hmm. getting paid pretty well there. And, and, yeah. and that's a great job, a super fun job. It's not about the money, you know, that's why I'm busting my asses because it's those moments where I get to do whatever I want, which is, you know, makes it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. Are you guys, uh, do you guys still play once in a while for fun? Like for sh- Halloween no. show? No, really? No, not at all. I mean, uh, Garrett, Garrett and I haven't jammed like in ages. And, oh, what and a I, bummer. Well, a lot of it is that, you know, he's in Atlanta, like eight months out of the year. Oh, you know? really? oh he's on and, set. He's on set for Walking Dead. We've done other bands, like Garrett and I have done other bands, and we, like, you know, um, obviously you have other musical tastes, too, than, like, playing instrumental surf music. Right. You got Boss Boss Fink, right? I did, that was something where I was on guitar, I did uh, Boss Fink. Yeah, that's another thing. You play guitar and you play drums, and you're, like, really good at both. It's amazing. (laughs) You're super talented, man. Oh, thanks. You're a really talented guy. But but likewise, man. Seriously, you know. So so um. But uh. But yeah. I mean, it's like uh, um. Playing music, you know, like as you know, is a commitment. You know, like yeah. Any, any artistic venture that you do uh is a commitment. So at some point, you have to decide which thing am I going to devote my time yep. to. And and so like um. I kind of I still jam. I have my guitar like over here. It's like you know three feet away from my hand. You know right and. I, when I get home at night, I don't play drums anymore because drums is you can't jam very well on your own with drums. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. It, you, with drums, you have to jam with somebody that's playing guitar, and it's really boring to <laughs> play drums by yourself. I hate to say it, you know, right? Yeah. But but a guitar, you know, I, I could watch, I could be watching TV or whatever, and be fiddling around the guitar, and it's fun, you know. Right, so, right. So so um, so I, I kind of focusing more on guitar but i just do it all purely for fun yeah i just i i i come home you know from you know work and i grab the guitar and i just start fiddling around and you can kind of detach your brain and you just get into the zone you know and it's yeah, like yeah you still play guitar like just for fun or yeah actually it's it's sort of uh my hobby now like i never really had hobbies it was either i was doing makeup effects or i was or i had a second thing i was trying to do professionally like a band i was trying to make that happen or this yeah. computer animation shop or whatever and it's like i finally have a hobby and it's music now because i i i'm not you know will i'm i wasn't able to to make it doing what i wanted and i don't have the drive to do it anymore you know especially nowadays trying to make a living i'd be insane but um i i actually got uh, i'm into bass now i love playing bass okay. So I, I did, I did start, you'll, if you hear this podcast, the little song at the beginning, I recorded that on, uh, um, logic on, on my Mac. And, um, so I did, I, I am kind of like, I really want to just record music again, just for fun, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's totally a hobby. So I do, I do jam and, uh, just learn songs once in a while. It's fun. You know, it's just something to do with your hands yeah, and that's kind of how I'm approaching it too. It's like, it's like, it's just a fun hobby. Like I'll play guitar and, and I thought, like, like, well, this year, like, maybe uh, get together a handful of songs and, like, put together a band for a Halloween party. Right, or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no pressure, just fun. I, I, even, like, you know, we, we actually do get offered to go do little shows and things and that for, with the ghastly ones, but, like, you still have to rehearse. You still have yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're being, like, 
So I was like, oh, come on, dude. You can fucking do it. But it's it's really not that easy. Yeah. Oh, know? yeah. You have to carry your own shit. It's, yeah. not, like, it's not like, you, you know. know. Somebody hires you to play a show. I want to go in rehearsed. You know? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You got to prepare for that. Take their money and play some sloppy set. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You still rehearse a few times. Uh, before you play, you got to get a rehearsal space. And every step of the way, it's a commitment. Set you know? your shit up and tear down. It's a lot of work, man. Yeah, and when the, you work, and when you when you have like uh, when you work, you know, the, like the way with the intensity that we work mm-hmm. doing effects, you uh, sometimes you have no energy to oh, spare. Yeah, man. yeah. Like I don't, I, I, I have enough energy to come out and hang out with Kate, go some. Like go to dinner and then, you know, music and go to the beach or relax or walk around, you know, like Santa Monica or something, you know, like, you know, like I have the energy to do that because I'm trying to like just detach from, you know, your, your, your busy work schedule, you know, but doing a, it's like having two jobs and people don't realize that I got my day job, which is doing effects and I make a living at that. And then doing a band is like a whole other job. Oh yeah. Yeah. Commitment. And I just, it's for, you, know, that's, it, it, you have to decide like how far are you willing to spread yourself thin? You yeah. Know? And the older you get, the harder it is to do for sure too. That's the other thing, absolutely. you know, like oh, absolutely. my son Fritz is a drummer. I don't know if you know, he, he's in this, yeah, band. Yeah. he's in this band called the steady 45s. They just like had, yeah. a, had a little tour in uh, Europe. Like they play professionally all over the place, but man, he busts his ass. I, I look at how he works now and I think, man, I'm glad my band never, never made it. Especially nowadays, man. I have some, uh, a good friend who's in a, a, a band that tours quite a bit and um, they're municipal waste, you know, like this oh, yeah. rash, mm-hmm. municipal waste. And like those guys, um, they, they just played huge festivals in, in Mexico. They did a huge festival. That's where where Fritz, Fritz and, plays and, in Mexico uh, too, at festivals. Yeah, they, they did this huge festival where Kiss and Alice Cooper were the headliners. And oh, they go wow. to Europe. These massive. They play. They've done all the the big punk rock and thrash shows and uh-huh. all that stuff. Like, uh, uh, you know, and I directed their music video. As a matter of fact, oh, cool. You know, like, I did. I did. Uh, yeah. If you go to, if, you know, if you go to uh, YouTube. Uh, go check out Municipal Waste, uh, Slime and Punishment. Slime and, like and Slime and Punishment. Like, slime and Punishment, yeah. <laughs> and it's the band is called Municipal Waste, and and they're like um like a real true old school thrash band, like eighty oh, cool. style thrash band, you know. Nice. Yeah, and and um and like and the the the, the guitar player in the band Ryan, it, we became really good friends, and through me directing his video. And like I see how much those those guys are the hardest working men in show business. Oh man, yeah. Guys are touring like like I I I have no doubt they tour two hundred to three hundred dates out of the year. You know, that's crazy. Like they're they're constantly touring. You know, so that's what you got to do is because like nowadays you you know you you don't really make money off of of album sales so much because people just download shit for free. Right. So so um so the way they make money is by and the way a lot of bands make money is by touring and selling their merch yeah you know so i see how hard those guys work and it's like i there's no way on earth i could do that no now. way that yeah, no way i couldn't physically do it when, yeah maybe in your 20s or early 30s right you know? but but it's like at a certain point like no i i'm I, my my uh my touring days are over yeah now. yeah <laughs> I did it a, 
did a little bit with with the gas it was and i did it a little bit with a, with another band the 60s band the seeds you know like oh I did that's a, right that's right european tour playing that's drums right. with the seeds which was really cool and, and uh but I, I if somebody asked me to do a tour right now there's no way on earth i would do it you know yeah. and then i did the rob zombie stuff doing effects which we did a full tour like that too and it was like you know that's grueling, man. People don't even realize how grueling it is. You know? Right, right. Yeah. You, what did you do for that? I, I did. I built the whole Hellbilly Deluxe uh, stage. You know, this is like back in '94 or whatever. That's amazing. Stuff for Rob on, on White Zombie. You know, you, you um, what was it uh, say that? What was that? You did. You did what? I, started, I, st- I did stuff for the first time for White Zombie. Oh, what'd you do? Uh, I, I did. I built their stage too, and I did their Astro Creep. Uh, uh, music video and all that, like all those robots and all that shit that they have, like right. stuff, and all their effects. You know, I started with with them because of Danzig. You know, I was doing stuff for Danzig also too, and then I got into the music video thing, like in the mid mid to early nineties. You know, and did a bunch of that. So I did a lot of touring like that, just doing effects on road shows. You know, touring road shows. You know, yeah, so, yeah. You know, it burns you out though, man. People think. <laughs> fun but it actually really really burns you out you yeah know? yeah i'm sure it's fun if you're at the top of the heap and you, you know even then it's hard work i'm sure oh yeah and you know it's like it, people always think like oh touring with a rock band it's a non-stop party you know but the thing is it's like you know i don't know if you've ever been to a party that lasts for two months but <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah like, right like, like after a couple for a few nights of of every night is a party. You're just like, dude. I just want to like, like, chill, man. You know? <laughs> Take a nap. You know I mean? <laughs> I know, I, it's, it, you know, it's hard to, and I, and I, you know, like, I'm not a drug. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't do drugs or any that kind of right. shit. You know, drink, you know, whatever, a little bit. But it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not out there to, you know, you know, do a bunch of drugs or party hard or any that kind of shit. Just merely the touring part of it is is grueling. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a lot of work. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and you're like, you know, we were doing um you know, shows and then there'd be the the meet and greet thing and and all that stuff and and afterwards and you're just like, man, I can't talk to any more people, you know? Like Yeah, right. It's it's really it's more work than people can possibly think, you know? Yeah, yeah. They think it's all oh, then you know, you do get burned out, you know? So Right. Yeah. Didn't you do didn't you do a bunch of uncredited stuff for Rob Zombie with like his uh, with the artwork and stuff for one of his albums or something? No, I, mean, I did. I did. I, I got a credit. Actually, if you look at the oh, okay. Uh, if you look at, uh, I think I'm, I have credit on the White Zombie, uh, their Astro Creep album, and then I have credit on uh, uh, Rob's uh, Hellbilly Deluxe album. Oh, okay, uh, I got. There as like Monster Maker or something like that. Okay, you know? but that was like a lot of that artwork was sort of from you, or you kind of found it, or wasn't? I, I thought you like true. the what? creature effects stuff, you know? Yeah, but did, I thought you did like, didn't you like turn them on to all that spook show stuff? And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I get funny because he ended up doing. <laughs> that's a long story, but <laughs> it's a good one though. <laughs> the, uh, uh, which I don't want to get into. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it's funny because I when we when I was doing that stuff for Rob, I gave him that Spook Show book. You know, it was like the American Spook Show. You know, 
thing. And then, like, it seemed like everything he did after I gave him that book was all scoop shows, scoop shows. Scoop shows. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, whatever. It's something that's public domain. Yeah, I exactly. Anything, you know? Uh, um, you know, so, but, uh, but no, nah, I mean, I, I, I built a lot of that stuff, and, you know, over the years. I worked, I did stuff for the Ramones, you know, back in the 90s. Really? Revolting Cox, you know? Are you serious? For them. Did you meet yeah, Al Jorgensen? Yeah. I did. I he, spent he's, whole, he's I Cuban. He's also Cuban, right? Yeah, he's he's half Cuban. Right. He, he his mom was Cuban, and uh, and and um, we went to. Do you remember this guy, uh, uh, Tom Renoni, Right. Yeah, Tom Renoni. Tom Renoni is this crazy filmmaker guy who you know uh, directed this. He directed a, a Motorhead video, directed a, a Revolting Cox video, revo- directed a, a Ramones video. I worked on the Ramones video. I got to do their Pinhead. Oh wow! Right, as their pinhead mask, and then um, and then we did that revolting Cox video. So we spent the whole whole weekend uh, with Al Jorgensen and and all the guys from Revco. You know, wow, we're all real cool guys. Uh, I think uh, Al was, uh, you know, I mean, according to his book, anyway. Yeah, did you read that? I I read his book. It's insane, man. You know, like he was like really out of it, and you could tell when we were doing that video. He was like totally out of it, you know. So he so, uh, he's um, lucky to be alive, that dude, man. You know, you know. So so like uh, so, but the other guys were, weren't like the other guys, like Paul Barker and those guys. You know, like they were all like you know super cool and together, you know. And mm. like Al was really nice, actually. He was cool. He was just out of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... And uh, and and uh, but we, I had a total blast on that video. Really, you know, like it was so much fun. You know, it was like uh, we shot it in Texas. And a crazy, you know, Tom, Tom Renoni and his brother, you know, brother Pete, you know, and like all this, like they had his brother could get, you know, uh, hands on like Thompson submachine guns and tanks. And they were <laughs> these Texas guys that were like just blowing stuff up, you know, and it was like, <laughs> it was Did, really something, man. It was like, didn't you know, Tom, Tom Renoni, di- didn't he do the effects coordination for um, Freaked? Yeah, he did. Yeah, we that movie we both worked on. Like you worked for for XFX. I, I worked for XFX, and I was working for Tony. Tony, yeah. Did and you Tom, work? Tom was Tom was the effects coordinator on. Yeah, that. yeah. Did Did you work on that? The big Daddy yeah, Roth. Daddy Roth monsters. That, yeah, that thing. Like the, yeah. <laughs> you did that. A big daddy, you know. Like I mean, I, that's another. That was huge. the coolest thing in the whole movie. That thing was fuck. I remember when, man, when. When you guys brought that on set, I was like, oh, I felt like such a loser for what we were doing, because that was just, like, amazing. That thing was fucking um, crazy. Was it two of them, or was really, it one of them? There was two. There was, there, was a, there was a green one and, like, a pink one, you know? Right, I remember the and, green one. Yeah, and then, um, but, uh, yeah, Alex Winter turns into that thing, Yeah, you know? yeah, right, right. And, uh, so, so, uh, but that was a blast, because it's like, I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up with all those like, like Ed Roth, you know, and all the the bubblegum cards and have all those odd rods and hot rod, you know, yeah, monsters and all that, that stuff. stuff. I'm like a huge fan of that stuff. So it was really fun to get to work, work on that. And then I made a couple for White Zombie actually for I'm Your Boogeyman. Oh, that's right. I did, I did a couple of like Big Daddy Roth monsters too that are that are in that Boogeyman video. Right. And I'm also the horror host in the Boogeyman video. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I'm in there too. Which is kind of funny to see the comments on YouTube because the people are like, "Is that Jim Carrey?" 
<laughs> anything like Jim Carrey, but it's like, people are like, it looks like Jim Carrey. <laughs> I gotta so see like, that now. That's hilarious. Like, those monsters are like monsters from from like some Russian movie from the 1930s or something. I'm like, no, they're not. I made them in my garage in Van Nuys. You know, it's like <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, oh, what was I gonna say? Uh, I had I wanted to ask you something. Let me see. I do this at least every episode. I lose my train of thought. Um, oh, fuck. Oh, well. It'll come back to me. Uh, one thing, you know, one, one thing, it'll come back to me once I start talking. Um, you know, and, and another thing I, I have to bring up is that you never talk shit. <laughs> That's one thing I always noticed about you. People, you know, sh- you know how shops are. Everyone gossips at shops you were always the guy who would be sitting there and everyone would be talking shit about somebody and you'd just be like yeah yeah <laughs> you just totally like didn't want to get into it for the most part i mean everybody talks shit a little bit yeah. but that's you, you summed it up i mean that's that is like i kind of have like a general rule like you know it's a it's not worth it you know b it's like why expend your energy on something negative you right know? Like I, I I, I kind of just I feel like it's not worth it. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, that's just kind of my personal creed. Like, I just don't think it's worth it to to be a shit talker. Yeah, you know? no, it's cool. I always ad- admired that I, about I, that's you. That's just I kind of just uh, you know I I feel like when you when someone talks about somebody else, that person is ninety nine point nine percent of the time is not in the room to defend themselves. Yeah, you know? so it's right. Sort of, why, why should you take their opinion over somebody else's? And I've heard people talk shit about people that I like. Right. <laughs> and then, like, you know, so I, I just don't get involved in that sort of thing. I, I, I try to avoid, I, I'm not into, into I, I, you know, it's like, to me, it's, I'm not into drama and that kind of nonsense, you know, like, I feel like life's too short to get wrapped up on, on bullshit like that, you know what I mean? It's like, it's literally that simple. Yeah, you know? no, no. I, 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 I mean, I know it's been, I, I just remember things being brought up about, I don't know, so, someone that you weren't even that you like, you didn't even like anymore because they screwed you, and you just wouldn't talk about them. I always like, yeah. I, I always admired that. I thought I, I, I need I to mean, be more like that. Well, I mean, there's people out there, there without a doubt. You know, there's I could there's people that I can tell you that I don't like. There's, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's, there are people that that there's are certain people that just don't uh, you know play by the rules, so to speak. I know, they, but you still never like trashed them. Yeah. You know. and, there's people that, that like that are out to. There are people out there that are are out there to fuck you over or fuck anybody over. They're yeah. out. They're out there, you know, and they're out there to bring you down to their level, you yeah. know. And the best thing to do is just to avoid it and avoid negativity and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you have to confront it, and then that's part of being a person too. Right. You have to confront negativity, you know. But uh, you know, I just you know try to keep it. I always try to keep it like cool, you know. Yeah, like, that's yeah. My, my personal creed, you know, no, so. it's a, it's a good one. I, I think that's cool. I remember, I remember the thing I forgot. I forgot. I was going to, okay. you, you brought up the horror host thing. Why hasn't there been a good horror host since like, yeah, the last one, my horror host was in the early before Elvira. It was fright night with Grimsley. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever saw that, but, but it, oh. it was like at the LA local station. It was fucking great. He was really funny and clever and it was really dark and kind of twisted, almost like surrealist humor. But yeah. 
I can't figure out. It's like that's one of my dreams in life. I, I think with YouTube now, you could do it. Is to do like a, yeah. an old school horror host that was actually good. Because I kind of, I sort of did that for my ego death show. I had uh, this Undertaker character I created with uh, my friend uh, Rick Gallagher, and so that was the the basis of this Undertaker yeah. um, guy was that he he would be like an old school horror host, like he was funny and goofy and and but weird and. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to see a really amazing? I mean, you have now on on I on uh, unless I'm missing them or something. No, they're 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 actually like son of Spenguli, you know, like uh, is on now, you know, like he's oh really? On, yeah, he's on Saturday nights, like um, and like he's still he's like a guy that's still doing it. Is he? Like, is it so, good? Yeah, I mean, you know, I like son of Spenguli, but I mean, I always kind of had I, we had our own, um, you know, horror host too. Like we had when I was really little. We had this guy called Empty Graves, you know, yeah. <laughs> Florida. And Perfect. Like, this guy who was like, you know, it was so creepy, you know, like, and I, I, I just love that kind of stuff. Like, I always like them, um, and I know horror hosts usually have a comedic edge to them, uh, but I was like, to me, like that stuff, the stuff that actually genuinely terrified me was was better than the stuff that was trying to be funny. Right. You know? I, I almost feel like you can do a horror host thing where. It was it was actually like really scary. Oh you know, like, yeah, that would be awesome too, man. I would love to. I just would. When I, these are the reasons I would like to be rich, <laughs> so I could just do you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get do a horror host channel on YouTube and just do a really great horror host it's, that's good. Yeah. It just seems like they're out there, but man, the quality is like from what I've seen. It's there's some. It's, it's not very very low fit, you know. Uh, uh, but I mean, I, I think that there's a potential to do something like that and have it be totally. like really scary, you know? Or yeah, yeah. Like not necessarily terrifying, but but just have like kind of like a weird, creepy, creepy and weird and yeah, creative, you know? You know? Uh, I think there's definitely potential to do something. Like I know that. you should do it. I <laughs> it's it's one of my my on my list of dream things I would love to do someday. I mean, I wouldn't be it, but um, I think. I think Rick would be Rick Gallagher would be pretty awesome. We've got a whole get up and outfit. It's pretty. It's a pretty cool character. He's definitely funny, but um, but it's creepy. It's creepy enough to where it's you know it's also yeah. creepy. I don't know. I just I, that's one I of the it. one of the things I I I really miss and uh, loved in my childhood was the horror host thing. Watching a horror movie yeah. and having a horror host that was. I mean, it just seems like. That would be popular now. I don't understand why it's not a big thing anymore. Yeah, well, you should check out on cable. I mean, I know it's not what it used to be, but there's still that. Like, there's a guy doing it now, like Son of Spenguli. Like, is and he's still he's doing a thing on cable TV. Yeah, I've like, never seen that. Yeah, look look it up and you'll find it. You know, it's like uh, uh, you know, it's that sort of thing. But but you know, when when we were growing up, it was like usually like the local weatherman. Yeah. You know, also the horrors. You know, like <laughs> like that was like a thing. You know, like. I think our weatherman, which who his name was Chuck Zink, and is like the guy. I think he was also like Skipper Chuck, you know, like the, <laughs> the kids, <laughs> the kids host. And then he was also, you know, uh, the evil like horror host guy too. You know, right? Like, it's a different time, you know. It's just yeah, fun. yeah, I suppose that kind of shit. Yeah, and that, that was that. I feel like those monster movies that we watched late night when we were kids, or like on Saturday afternoon on a rainy day. You know, like like that stuff so so much molded. You know, oh, who yeah. we are. You know, absolutely, absolutely. You know what I saw recently? 
I I know that you know of this because you're the only person I ever heard of, that talked about it. I finally saw Coffin Joe. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's intense, man. That it's guy, crazy. This oh, stuff is so out at there. Possess your corpse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> like ever, you know. Yeah, and I loved it because he was he was this anti-social, <laughs> anti anti-religion guy, you know. Like, yeah, in this movie, like. They show him like on Good Friday, like he sees this procession, like a Catholic procession <laughs> going by. He's like eating raw meat, you know, and stuff. <laughs> like, just to it, taunt them. It was a, I, like, the guy was like really punk rock, man. You know, like, totally. the guy was really, like, like, you know, anti-establishment, like anti-religion. And it's all you know that stuff like speaks to me, you know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only problem. He was he was he, he was a, a rapist. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> That's the only part I'm like. That's a little too far. The torturing. There, there's a, a, those movies like like incredibly sadistic. You know, like yeah, it was about sadism. You know, it was. I don't even think it was necessarily like. You know, I don't know if he was like, like it was rape. It was so much like it was just sadism to, towards men and women. Right, you know? right. But but he but he but he's trying you know, like, to his whole thing. Remember, he's trying to. The only reason for life is to carry on your blood, your bloodline. So he's trying to find the perfect woman, and then he he rapes, yeah. he rapes that one woman, like he beats her up, and and if they don't show it, of course, but it's like it's so weird to look at that this thing from like nineteen, I don't know what six mid sixties or something, and it's like it's 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 you know what it, what I found um, watching that was it had. What, what really I, I enjoyed about it, it had all the elements of all the all the shit that we used to love from like horror comics and the Aurora models. It's like snakes, spiders, yeah. skulls, witches, ghosts. It was like yeah. it, it, all the L, even though it was like super poorly done because it was super low budget. It, it it was cool to have all those elements together like that. You know, very kind of it reminded me of like an EC comic. Yeah, yeah, no, and he he was like, uh, what what made it interesting too with him was that he was he took those horror trappings and then was trying to make a political statement with it. You know? Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, uh, like he, it was like his movies are more. There's more levels and more complexity to his movies than one would think, even you know. But it, it, he was he was this anti-establishment guy who was trying to make a, a statement. Yeah, with, I know. Yeah. His, and he was doing it. Use, use hard trappings to make a make a his bizarre twisted statement. But I tell you, they they, they broke the mold when they made that guy because there's like no, there's nothing else out there like Cop and Joe. You know, it's just fucking nuts. Yeah, you know? I know. I I don't. I, I mentioned this on on a couple podcasts ago. Is I I was I I I had a dream. I one night recently, I dreamt all night about Cop and Joe, and I'd never seen the movies. I'd only heard heard you talk about him. And, yeah. and stuff I'd researched, I've heard it over the years, but I never saw the movies. And I dreamt all night about Coffin Joe. And the whole next day, I kept thinking, Coffin Joe, Coffin Joe. It was like going through my mind. Like, for some reason, that, that even the name is, is amazing. Coffin Joe is so cool. And uh, yeah. so I eventually ended up getting those, like the trilogy on DVD. And I watched the, I watched the first two. I haven't seen the third one because he did, he did a third one like recently. Did you know what? that? A fourth one recently. The third one was actually done in the seventies. Oh, oh, okay. So yeah. I got the one in the seventies, I guess. Black, black, 
eyes, but then it turns into color when he goes into hell. That's you know? two. That's part two. That was that hell scene was amazing. Yeah, it's so crazy. And like hell is like this cave that's like full of snow and stuff. And yeah, then, like <laughs> there's feet, legs coming out of the snow, and like I mean, that guy's a twisted, crazed individual. I mean, who yeah. knows what's going on inside? But it's it's like just some truly bizarre shit, man. I mean, there's like. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very, very inspiring though to me. Just that, just those, the images. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's almost like, man, that would be a cool thing to do nowadays. Except the, uh, the kind of violence towards women is not really cool. It's that, that's a weird. It's like, okay, I have to kind of ignore that aspect of it to enjoy the rest of it because it kind of bothers me to see, you know. But that was a, that was part of the whole. In the '60s, that's that was part of the whole horror thing. It was like well, they would grab, to, you know, going for extreme shock value. Right, right. It's like he was a sadist. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. And he was like, I mean, Coffin Joe is is a character, and he's like portraying himself as this like the 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 world's wickedest man. Right, right. Ultimate, you know, like like he's like the like and sadistic to, to yeah. everybody. I mean, there's a, a tremendous amount of torture. Being inflicted on on, on both sexes True. In, in those movies and murder, but he'll just kill anyone he doesn't like. <laughs> I gouged out, and then he's still alive, <laughs> yeah. and it's just kind of like I mean, the movie, his movie is like all over the map. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like some interesting and weird outray, you know, filmmaking going on there. You know, yeah, so. and it, it was cool that he, you know, he's in Brazil and he's just doing it all on his own, and he didn't have any support, and it's kind of like doing it out of the love for horror movies, you know. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. In the 60s, you know, it's totally pissed off the establishment, too. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. To, yeah, it was controversial because he was so like anti religion in that movie. The character yeah. was, yeah, yeah, absolutely pretty great. I've been watching inter- interviews with the guy and stuff. It's a, it's a trip, it's very unique. Yeah, yeah, that's no, cool stuff. <laughs> it has nothing like it. So, <laughs> uh, where are you working now? Are you freelancing I'm, 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 or in Arian Titan? You know, Arian, like, oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, we, I can't tell you what we're working on, though, but it's big. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. That guy's yeah, great. That guy's it's, really... It's still, uh, I mean, you know, nowadays, like, every, when you work on a movie, like, it's like you have to sign those NDAs and all that shit, so you can't talk about what you're working on. But we're working on something like a, a pretty ar- iconic piece right now that, oh, cool. people are, that people are familiar with. So you'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, people are sleuthy enough. They can look at our friends, uh IMDb and they'll figure it out. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're not at K. You've been at. You were at K and B for a long time. I, I I worked a long time at K and B, and I was at. I did like seven seasons of The Walking Dead, like you're talking about, you know. Um, and then and then I. Uh, but then I've also, you know, I worked for Spectral Motion, right? Many, on and off. So I was at Spectral Motion. We did uh, um, last year. Uh, we did scary stories to tell in the dark. We yeah, did I was supposed to work on that. Damn it! Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I remember they that Guillermo wanted you to work on that. I know. You know one of the guys, uh, Guillermo uh, requested me and and Mike Hill, you know, and he wanted you to work on it too. You would have been really perfect for this character, the pale lady. Yeah, you know? I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm really bummed about that. Right up your alley, you know. But uh, but yeah, we went me me and Mike Hill ended up helming two creatures apiece. Mike did the Mike did the pale lady. Yeah, and, he killed it, man. And I did the scarecrow and the toll his corpse. You know, so um, <laughs> and, and Guillermo produced movie and and 
it was a blast. We shot it up in Toronto, and and I just it was a really it was super fucking awesome experience. Really. And so, and Guillermo was very happy from what I understand, and you know, so yeah, and that that's going to be out. Um, Scary Stories will be out August of this year. You know, so um, so yeah, I've been I've been at Spectral, and then now uh, I. For the last few weeks, I've been over at Arians uh, on a big show that he's doing that he landed, which is cool because Arians a great guy too. You know, he's like you know a Rick Baker protege. Yeah, you know. I heard about him. And um, and you know he's, he's super, super talented too, right? Super talented, really down to earth guy. So I'm pretty excited to be. Uh, and I've known him for a long time, but we've never worked together. So this is kind of cool. This is our first show, me and him working together on something. So you know, that's cool, man. Wow! Yeah, I miss working with you guys. It's a it's same here, man. Always, you know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, one of these days, I hope that I could just have like a couple weeks stint somewhere just to hang out and work, sculpt, you know, something something short. Right now, I just I I don't I wouldn't even have time right now because you're better off concentrating on your own. Yeah, (laughs) it's working. It's working out. It's just that I I do still miss it. I miss. The, the fun, you know, because it was fun. It was fun. And then, yeah, there's the camaraderie in yeah. the shop and all that stuff. It's like a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, so, so I got a lot of great friends in the business. I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I want to start interviewing more makeup effects people on here because I know fucking the best effects people in the business. Oh know? yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and you you do a good interview, man. So it's oh, like thanks. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is great, man. It's we're coming up on two hours, so I'm gonna. I don't want to keep you too long. But it was a blast, you know. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. It was super, super great to uh, relive those old memories. Sure. And uh, talk about old times and um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just appreciate it. <laughs> oh man, Mike! Any time, dude. Seriously, that was. That was that was a blast. It's always fun to do that, you know. So excellent. Always a pleasure, dude. All right. Well, I, I um, I'll, I'll I'll get all your info, you know, links and stuff. You got an Instagram? Uh, yeah. What well, what? Nor- Norman Cabrera Monsters is my Instagram, and CabreraMonsters.com is my dot com. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll put also put that in the um, description uh, as yeah, well for people to check out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Norma for coming on. Yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, nice. uh, please spread the word about the podcast. Um, we'll, we'll be back next week with another great guest and Norman. Once again, thank you very much. My pleasure to the podcast audience. Goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye, Norman. So long. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> later. <laughs>